Welcome back in the Bills chat, everybody. This is Josh. With me tonight is the co-host, always Luca. Luca, how's it going tonight? It's going good. Uh, you sound significantly better this week, although I will say that with an asterisk, as it sounds like you may have something going on, but I love the new mic that you uh, seem to have purchased. It's a give and a take. It's a give and a take here. So the good news is I have a new mic, so you shouldn't hear me breathing in the background like you heard last time. The bad news is you may have just caught it there. My voice is giving out, getting over a cold. I am fighting it off, but my voice is kind of giving out. So you might think that I'm going through puberty tonight. If my voice cracks, I apologize. I'm going to fight through it though. I've got my water. I've got my lozenges. I've got my chloroseptic spray, got my mute button handy, got my guy Luca here to handle the conversation. If I need a break, we're going to make it work, Luca. This is your Jordan flu game. It is my Jordan flu game. You know, sports fans around the world, they're going to talk about the night that Jordan had the flu and went out and beat the Jazz, or T.O. with a broken leg went out in the Super Bowl and had 100 yards receiving on the Patriots, or Josh, with a sore throat, hopped into Bill's chat and talked about Von Miller, legendary sports performances. It's been about a week, and not much has happened since uh, we were last on the air, huh? Uh, yeah, no, it's been pretty quaint, quiet, you know, nothing crazy. So we alluded to it last week. We thought one thing this defense could use is a Batman style pass rusher to complement the Robins we already have. The name we identified was Chandler Jones. We also identified Daniil Hunter from the Minnesota Vikings via trade. But man, our guy, big baller, Brandon Bean went big game hunting and he pulled out a name that neither you or I were considering. And he came away with Vaughn Miller. Luca, where were you when you found out that Vaughn Miller was a Buffalo Bill? So I was actually uh bowling. I was with the guys Wednesday night, you know, that's my bowling night. And I believe it was my guy, Owen shout out to him. He all of a sudden looked at his phone and he goes, the bills just signed Vaughn Miller. Uh, I believe my brother just texted me this. I'm not sure. I'm tracking. I'm checking tweets as we speak. Uh, I don't know if this is real or not. And I remember just immediately grabbing my phone, just spamming to refresh Twitter. Sure enough, you can see all the official reports coming out that the Bills signed Von Miller. As you said it, that's our Batman. We just got the name wrong. I, I'm not upset about it. I can definitely tell you that. It, Von Miller was a name that, I believe in the previous podcast we talked about maybe he could go to Dallas. Maybe there, you know, there was talks of him reuniting with Denver, but then that kind of was not going to be a thing. But it it was Von Miller was not on the radar for the Bills, and all of a sudden here it is, two time Super Bowl champ, uh, Super Bowl MVP. I mean, the guy is a stud, been a stud for a long, long time, and he's a hungry, hungry edge rusher, and he's dang good on both the pass and the rush. I could not be more excited for a guy like number 40 coming into this locker room. Yeah, I saw something today on Twitter where he was the only edge defender in the league to have a PFF rating of 87, both against the rush and the pass. So it's funny. I was driving home from work that day. And to kind of recap that day, um, Chandler Jones had signed with the Raiders. That was also the day that JD McKissick had decided he didn't want to play for the Bills. So that day was trending down from a Bills news story standpoint. And at that point, I was thinking, well, hopefully they can trade for Daniel Hunter. In my car driving home, happened to peek at my phone. Don't recommend you doing that when you're driving, by the way. And I see Matt Perino from New York Upstate say, 
Adam Schefter with a bombshell bill signed Von Miller and OJ Howard. But I'm in my phone. I'm in my car, right? So I don't really have the time or the capability to make sure it's not a fake account or somebody got a bad retweet, whatever. So the first thing I do is I go to our Discord chat and I just want to see like if my guys, Luca, you included, are talking about it, then it must be real. I go in there and the Bills chat is just flooded with, oh my God, Von Miller. Oh my God, six years, $120 million. I knew it had to be real. It was great. So my initial reaction was, six years, $120 million. <laughs> but uh, Luca, I think as the real numbers came out, that contract became a little bit more palatable. Yeah. And immediately out of the gate, I heard the six for 120. I believe it was again, my bud Owen who said that uh, because that was the first tweet we saw. Um, but you knew, especially with modern contracts, and I believe we talked about it at last, but I know it's always on the forefront of everyone's mind. Modern contracts, you can see that big number, the year for the dollar amount. And it used to be that was it. That was what the contract was. That's what you accepted. That's what it was. You were going to be stuck with this guy. So essentially, for this context purpose, you'd be stuck with this aging veteran, still good now, but aging veteran for six more years at $120 million. And all you can think about is, what the hell are we going to do by year four or five? <laughs> you just, what are you going to do with that contract? Where are you going to go from there? How are you going to be able to do anything now with the NFL in its current state and all the TV money coming in and streaming money more specifically coming in, the salary cap could even blow up more than it's projected. But still, that's a lot of money for a guy like that. But once you saw the new numbers and that it was really a three-year deal, just over 50 million guaranteed, you know, it it it, it made more sense. And it, it just the first year, I believe, is single digit millions hitting the cap. It's a perfect contract for a guy that you want to bring in. And even in his video that was posted by the bills himself, he looked at those uh, banners in the practice facility. He saw the four straight uh, runner up banners, essentially we'll call them. And he, someone I believe was, you know, we need you to get us over that hump. And he's like, yeah, we'll get you over that hump. Yeah. Six years, um, 120. You're right. Three years, more of like 51 million came in right at the same number that Chandler Jones got 17, five, and as you mentioned, that initial cap hit was about 6.5 the next two years, right about 17. So they can get out of it after three years with a minimal cap hit in the fourth year. And you mentioned that video on buffalobills.com. You want to talk about a guy that, in my opinion, he didn't look sold on the decision at first. I don't know what your reaction was, but even his words in the press conference was like, okay, I made the decision. I posted the video on Instagram saying I'm coming to Bill's Mafia. He gets out of his car. He's walking around the place. He's not really smiling. He's just kind of taking it all in. And maybe he's not an overly emotional guy, but it wasn't until it seemed like he got into the locker room, saw his jersey, started talking to Brandon Bean, and then he signed the contract and he got a big smile on his face. I think it finally hit him like, this is real and this place is home now. And that's a good thing. And what was interesting, Luca, he mentioned that he thought he was going to be a Buffalo Bill back in his rookie year when the Bills had that third pick and ended up with Marcel Darius. Do you remember that draft much? I it I remember it a little bit. I found it fascinating that he talked like that because if I remember the draft analysis going into it, I do recall some people thinking that Von Miller could be a guy we target, but it was never really someone that I don't think people were over the moon saying home run, need to take at three, things like that. I feel like when Marcel Darius was taken at the point that he was, 
it was viewed as a successful pick. So it was interesting to hear that he felt that he was going to be a bill and it was only until the day came and then he was eventually picked by the Denver Broncos that he realized he was a Bronco and that he moved forward with that. Yeah, the interesting thing about that draft was um, that was the year that Andrew Luck was supposed to come out and then he stayed in school for another year and then Cam Newton was the top quarterback off the board and people weren't sold on him and he turned out to be a really good player. And then the next two players in the draft were Marcel Darius and Von Miller with two blue chippers behind them in Patrick Peterson and AJ Green. And a lot of people thought that Marcel Darius was the safest and best defensive player in the draft. And Von Miller was more looped in with AJ Green, Patrick Peterson as high athletic upside, but maybe not as safe as Marcel Darius. And the whole time leading up to that draft with the Bills having the third pick, I think it was just assumed that Cam would go one, Broncos would go Darius, and then the Bills would have their pick between Von Miller, Patrick Peterson, AJ Green. And a lot of people wanted them to pick Patrick Peterson at that point. But yeah, it's interesting because the Broncos obviously did go Miller and then we got Darius and they obviously got the future Hall of Fame player. And we got a guy that made a pro bowl or two and then got his way out of Buffalo and pretty much ate his way out of the league. But it's nice to have Von Miller on this team. So we talked about it last week, the downstream effect of getting a Von Miller, because you don't just get an elite edge rusher, but the effect it has on the rest of the players, similar to when Stefan Diggs came into the wide receiver room. What do you think this means for the rest of the D line? I, I think we touched on it last episode, and I don't think my viewpoint of how I felt Chandler Jones would impact the defensive line changes with Von Miller. I mean, it's fitting what you said there that the first three years are very similar number wise to what Chandler Jones got with the Raiders. I, I They have similar impacts and Von Miller is a guy who is very in tune with his craft, right? He's very in tune with his abilities, what he can do. I think also that PFF note that you mentioned from earlier is a great indication to just show you how smart he is. It's an individual that is just as deadly defensively against the run that he is the past because his play recognition and his ability to understand what's going on in front of him is just top notch. And that can only benefit everyone else around him. His ability to diagnose things from his position, and I'm sure that goes all the way into the, the weeks of prep going into games and whatnot, it, it can only influence positively everyone else on the field and in that defensive meeting room week in, week out. And it just, I could, I, I'm just, I'm, I'm just so happy. I love that we got that guy. We got that rock there that will just be such a positive influence to everyone on the defensive side of the ball that really should help elevate what was already a very, very good unit. And when you look at Sean McDermott and Brandon Bean's history with the Bills, they've historically wanted a veteran in every position room. And with guys like Mario Addison and Jerry Hughes, and say what you want to about Vernon Butler leaving the room and Starla Tulele, they were desperately in need of a veteran presence. So as the week went on, I really was feeling like maybe they weren't going to get a Von Miller, but I felt like there was a very good chance that they were going to get a veteran player to go in there. I really thought that once they lost out on Chandler Jones, that it was just going to be, okay, Jerry Hughes is going to come back. We're going to run it back. Um, there goes my voice again. Um, <laughs> it's, it's reminding me of being in sixth grade on the playground and going deep while playing um, touch football on the playground and being like, 
throw me the ball. And it's the most embarrassing <laughs> thing ever when all the girls you have a crush on are looking at you like, who made that noise? It's like, it wasn't me. You just squeaked on top of your squeak there. Yeah. You just squeak on. Oh, I, that was an intentional squeak for, um, for effect. So hopefully <laughs> I don't have one that bad unless I'm doing it to make fun of myself. There's one again. Um, so I'm really excited about Von Miller. Did you hear about the full court press of recruiting they did for Von Miller with Josh Allen on the golf course and even Bill's legend, Bruce Smith, getting in on the recruiting? No, I did hear about the Bruce Smith thing. I, I did hear about that. I did not know, though, of Josh Allen doing his own legwork on all that. Uh, I'm, I'm very curious to hear what you got on that. So if you guys have a chance to this week, check out the Pat McAfee show with Brandon Bean. He did an interview on the Pat McAfee show, and he basically went through the entire sequence of Von Miller and said um, they talked about Josh Allen's role within the organization now and compared it to some of the things that went on in Green Bay with Aaron Rodgers' frustrations. Maybe you're familiar with that situation, folks listening, where one of Rodgers' frustrations was as a proven quarterback, a proven veteran, he doesn't feel like he always had say in personnel moves. And Brandon Bean said it was important as Josh has grown to give him some ownership in some of the important decisions. And so a lot of times with offensive decisions, coordinators, players, he'll run things by Josh, pick his brain on things. But when Josh had heard that Von Miller was interested in becoming a Buffalo Bill, Josh was like, I need his number. I need to reach out to him. I need to get in his ear and talk to him about it. And so he said that Josh was on the golf course the day that they signed him when I guess Vaughn's agent had contacted the Bills and said, hey, things are heating up with the Rams. Do you want to hop in on this? And Josh made some calls. And then also Bruce Smith made some calls. So just really cool, especially when you see a legend like Bruce Smith, who, you know, Hall of Fame career, great player. He could easily just be on a beach somewhere, kicking his feet up, doesn't even care about what's going on. But it's just something about this team, Luca, where the legends care and it's not fake. You can tell they really care about this team. And for Bruce Smith to go out of his way to reach out to Von Miller, I don't know. To me, that was pretty cool. Yeah, that's it's a sense of community that I know people can feel. And I believe in that the video that they released that he was finally in the you know building, just taking the tour, stuff like that. And they're going through, I believe, is in a cafeteria area and in the windows. You see a bunch of different images, you know, printed on the windows just to show you you had they pointed out Bruce Smith. They pointed out Daryl Talley. They pointed out Jim Kelly. And it goes into like, I believe there's one that shows Kyle Williams and more recent bills as well. And I think that sense of community and that sense of togetherness has always been there with this organization through all the different changes in the front office, through all the coaches, through all the personnel changes. I, I think that shows you right there, the recruitment of Von Miller in that last second, just, Hey, by the way, he, we might lose him. Can you do a little bit there, Josh, but also, Hey, Bruce, can you also reach out and give him a little, little, uh, thumbs up and kind of get it over the finish line. And I, I, it's awesome to hear. And as you said, easily Bruce Smith has no need to do something like that. You know, that he wants to be that guy. He wants to be involved and keep trying to see it through for this organization because he cares that much. And it's just, it's awesome. And one thing Von Miller mentioned in his introductory press conference is the reason why he had initial interest in joining the bills was because of Josh Allen and because of this roster they built here. And something I thought was really cool about what Von Miller said was they were going to win a Super Bowl without him. So he might as well get along for the ride. Thought that was really cool. Um, so we know 
what Von Miller has done. Hall of Fame resume. He could retire tomorrow and be a Hall of Fame player. Two Super Bowl rings, Super Bowl MVP. But at age 33, by the time the next season kicks off, what kind of player are they getting? So I listened to Locked On Bills this week with Joe Marino, and he had on a beat writer from the Denver Broncos. And the impression I got, if I highly recommend going back and listening to that episode if you guys have time to do that. I won't say everything because I don't think that's fair to that particular podcast, but the impression I got, maybe not the elite, elite athlete he was when he was sacking Cam Newton in the, in the Super Bowl. He's probably not as a, his athletic prime, but even if he's still a B-plus from what his A-plus was, his B-plus is still in the high, high, high percentile of the league. And what he's gained along the way as far as knowledge and understanding how teams are trying to block him and understanding ways to set up that offensive tackle with his pass rush moves, he has that pass rush school he does too. Um, It's kind of balanced out. So he's as effective as he's always been, but he's not winning as just a freak athletic who's just a better athlete than the guy in front of him. Like before, he's still a really good athlete, but he's winning now with athleticism, knowledge, experience, and all of that when you think about bringing it into a room with a guy like Boogie Basham and AJ Epinesa and Gregory Rousseau and even Ed Oliver. That's just, you can't even put into words the value that can mean to those guys when they see his experience and see the tools he has in his tool bag. And, you know, it's almost better that way because if this was the 28-year-old Von Miller showing up and he was just doing things on the practice field that those guys just simply aren't physically capable of doing, what are you going to learn from that? But when you see a guy who's 33, still very physically gifted, but he's also applying things to his trait, applying things to his craft to make himself the best version of himself, as Sean McDermott likes to say, then they can take things from that. And I think it's going to really help those guys take their game to the next level. And Luca, that's important because Von Miller's cool. Ed Oliver's cool. For this defense to be as dominant as we need it to be, we need one of those three guys between Basham, Epineza, and Rousseau to take that next step and be an impact starter. One out of three, I like my chances of seeing it happen. Don't know who it's going to be. Kind of think it might be Rousseau. But Luca, I think that's that's the biggest thing about Von Miller's impact is not only what he does for his position, but what he can do to influence the rest of the people in that room. I 1,000% agree. And it's just something that you know. Von's not only, and I I, I said it earlier, He's in tune with his craft, and not only is he going to try to always better himself, he's going to try to better everyone around him, and that does include those guys. And he's going to see the youth, you would think, and just try to you know, point out little things and help them out and bring that edge rush school daily to the practice field for those guys. So you love to think that Von Miller can make an impact this year, but that's also going to improve those other guys you just mentioned with Boogie and Rousseau, but it'll help them in the long run where maybe this will get Rousseau to a point that it wouldn't even be possible without bringing in a guy like Von Miller. Not saying that will happen. It's an unknown, but there's no negative to this. There's no negative. It's, it's impossible to write a negative narrative to bringing in a guy just take take away everything he can give you on the field on Sundays for this upcoming season. There's still no negatives. It's it's an amazing thing to bring in for that defensive line 
and everyone's going to learn from it. Everyone's going to get better from it. And it's just for future outlook purposes, taking Von Miller even out of the picture, you hope to see the growth that you should see from bringing in a guy like that to teach them everything. And I hope Bills fans realize what's going on here. You just had a guy who is an A-list name in this league in Los Angeles on a Super Bowl roster, a Super Bowl roster that won the Super Bowl and is still one of the favorites to win the Super Bowl. And they wanted him back and he chose Buffalo. And it's not because Buffalo paid double his market value. Buffalo essentially gave him the same contract Chandler Jones got. He chose Buffalo because he wanted to be in Buffalo. That's a different existence for those of us that lived through the drought where the Bills seemingly had to overpay for above average players like Langston Walker to get them to come here and be average players for the Bills because nobody wanted to come play in Buffalo. This is a new existence and Brandon Bean and Sean McDermott have a lot to do with it, a ton to do with it. You have to give credit to the Pagulas because they're willing to spend that they're willing to spend that money, that cash flow. And the majority of the credit though, it's Josh Allen, the quarterback. If you have that guy, people want to come play with that guy. Luca, I want to tell you a story. You have NFL Sunday ticket, correct? Of course. So about five years ago, we'd get into this thing, my wife and I would, where every year when football season's coming up, we would call DirecTV. Oh, we're going to cancel DirecTV. The only reason we have it is for Sunday ticket. And every year without fail, they'd say, oh, no, 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 no. Don't leave us. Please take Sunday ticket for free. Stay with us. Okay, fine. We'll stay. We never had any intention of leaving, but we usually realized that if we called up and threatened to quit, that they would give us Sunday ticket for free, right? Um, So one year, and I want to say this may have been Rex's first year, um, Rex Ryan, I called up and did this and they did not, they called my bluff and they're like, okay, well, we're going to send the guy out to uh, take your stuff off your house. And I panicked (laughs) and I, I hung up the phone and I was like, okay. I'll, I'll play ball. And then, um, I went to work that day and I was freaking out. My wife called me and she's like, what's the matter? And I was like, I think I just got us rid of Sunday ticket or rid of direct TV. And now we're going to lose Sunday ticket. And she's like, well, let me call him. I'll see what I can do. So she calls me back in like an hour and I'm like, well, what happened? She's like, don't worry. I took care of it. I got a Sunday ticket for free. And I was like, oh, you're, you're amazing. You're amazing. And she's like, yeah. And I also got us HBO for life. And I was like, what? So why am I telling you guys this? Sunday ticket was my main concern. Oh my God, that's amazing. Oh, by the way, I got us HBO for life. Von Miller's amazing. What a great signing. Oh, by the way, Luca, we got OJ Howard. OJ Howard was like the ultimate, oh, by the way, in that conversation. And OJ Howard is not some random lower tier free agent. This is a guy that was a first round pick in 2017, considering one of the best athletic profile tight ends to come out of the draft in a decade, um, not on the Kyle Pitts level, but before Kyle Pitts came out, he was the guy that everybody mentioned on that level. And it's been up and down in Tampa Bay, but you want to talk about a guy that's going to come in as our tight end too. And this was hidden on the breaking news of Bill signed Von Miller and OJ Howard. I'm excited about this. What did you think when you saw that OJ Howard was also coming to Buffalo? The afterthought of the signing and everything that came with it, as you said, Von Miller and OJ Howard, it it was, it was awesome. I actually, again, learned it at bowling and it came within a minute of my bud 
telling me about the Von Miller. He's like, and we signed OJ Howard. I actually think I got initially more excited about OJ Howard. And I think that is partially because we expected that edge guy. We wanted that edge guy. We were looking for that guy. I kind of gave up on the tight end option. I kind of gave up on the weapons that we could potentially sign, especially just learning that we signed Von Miller. And at that time, we still only heard six years for 120 million. At that point, I didn't think we could afford anything else. That That's kind of where my head was at. Oh, by the way, we got OJ Howard. I love it. As a tight end too, as a guy, as you mentioned, coming out into the NFL, he was supposed to be a very elite athlete at the tight end position, can give you everything you need kind of that guy that the I, I'm assuming the Buccaneers hoped to be their staple and their number one. And it just never worked out, whether it may be confidence issues. Uh, it may have been just he didn't mold with what they were trying to do down there offensively, whatever that may be. It's very, very exciting. It, it, it seems like a signing that was very low risk. We're bringing this guy in. He can be a great two to the Knox that is one and just you hope you can get that ceiling out of him and just reestablish confidence put him in an offense that you know Josh Allen is there and will give him anything he possibly can and just if it doesn't work out so be it and that would be a shame but I don't feel that's going to be the case and I really hope that's not going to be the case just because it's really hard to find elite athletes. It's really, really hard. And we have seen that over the years. And when you can get one, you just, just got to get them confident. You got to get them feeling good. And if he can just start getting into rhythm, if he can just feel that ball whizzing into his hands, it might break a finger here or there potentially, but I, the sky's the limit when it comes to just getting him involved in this. And if Knox is having an off game, if he all of a sudden gets the drops and you have another guy like that who can maybe come in and reestablish rhythm at the tight end position, what a luxury. It's hard to imagine him giving us giving us less than Tommy Sweeney gave us last year. No disrespect to Tommy Sweeney, but those games that Knox was out, it almost felt like tight end wasn't even a position we had on the field. And as the season went on and the Bills only had Dawson Knox as the only active tight end, and then Reggie Gilliam, Gilliam is like the the tight end fullback hybrid. You know, I think that said a lot about what they thought about Tommy Sweeney. I think this opens up a lot of their playbook. I've been doing some digging on OJ Howard, trying to figure out what went wrong. Is this a situation where he's had too many injuries and maybe he's a broken down player? So one thing I did was I went back to Locked On Bills, Joe Marino, great podcast. If you guys don't have this podcast on your daily routine, I highly recommend it. It's a, about a 30-minute listen every day, and it's just great Bills content. And they had on a Bucks beat reporter. And the thing about the injuries is, yes, Howard's had multiple injuries, but they've been injuries to different parts of his body, so it's not like he's breaking down. So what went wrong? The first couple years, he was an ascending player. So we all know tight end is not one of those positions that people generally come into the league and hit the ground running because – not only do you have to know how to run routes, you have to know your blocking assignments. You have to know how to do hot routes, whether a play starts out where you're a blocker and then you leak out to be a receiver. There's just a lot more to it than just being a receiver or a running back. You have to really own your position and know the playbook. And that's why sometimes you see tight ends take two, three years. Dawson Knox, perfect example. Third year, he just took off. So first two years, OJ Howard was doing okay. Going into that third year, he made the comment about how 
he believes he was going to be in the conversation with the best tight ends in football. And he was having a great start to his season. And then there was a game against the 49ers where Winston threw a pass to Howard and it basically hit him off the hands and he got turned around and the ball went to a 49ers player. It may have been Richard Sherman. I'm not sure. It doesn't really matter. And that play alone swung the momentum of the game and the Bucks lost the game. And the person I was listening to said that that moment in his career seemed to really kill his confidence. And he never seemed like the same player after that. It seemed like he was running his route slower. It's like he was questioning himself along the way. So he never really recovered from that. Fast forward to the next year, Brady shows up. Brady shows up and brings in Gronkowski. And people viewed that as like, oh, they're giving up on OJ Howard. That wasn't the case. And he was learning a lot from OJ Howard. OJ Howard was actually having a really good season until he got hurt and was out for the rest of the year. And then Gronk got into the lineup and then that Brady Gronk connection took over. And then, you know, Brady's history with, he's going to trust his slot receiver. He had Godwin. He's going to trust Gronk. He's going to trust Evans. Here's this team. They went on and won the Super Bowl, and OJ Howard wasn't really a part of that. And I think all of that kind of killed his confidence. Now, the other part of that that I found interesting, and you can probably speak to this better than me, Bruce Arians, I think is a really good coach, but his coaching style is not the kind of style that fits every player. He's a very tough love coach. And if you get a player like an OJ Howard who drops a ball against San Francisco, turns the game around, and Arians doesn't put you back on the field for a couple games, it can kill your confidence. I saw videos of Arians in Arizona where he's going batshit crazy on Larry Fitzgerald on the sideline. And it's like, if he's going to yell at Larry Fitzgerald, nobody's off limits. I don't think that was a good mesh just going by people that I read. This sounds like a lot of excuses to make for OJ Howard. I'm not making excuses. I'm just, I'm trying to put the pieces of the puzzle together for why a player with that athletic profile. And quite frankly, what the beat reporter said, a desire to be great. It's not like he's a guy that got to the league, got became a millionaire and was just like, okay, whatever. I'm an, I don't really love football. I'm just really good at it. So I'll, I'll get paid. I'll get rich and I'll get out of the league. Not the case. The guy has a desire to be great. Um, how could it go wrong? And he says it's a confidence issue. Uh, he may not be the elite player he was when he came into the league as far as athleticism goes, but he's still a very high-end athletic player with great straight line speed and a good blocker. Um, I'm going to pause there because I want to let you speak on the Arians thing because I know you're familiar with Arians from Arizona. I think the Arians thing really got in his head, made him question himself more, and the tough love approach Arians likes to have especially with his skills players, maybe set OJ Howard in a downward spiral instead of the upward trajectory that Arians was hoping for. Bruce Arians is a guy that I will start and say, I love, I will never not love that man. I think what he does to coach any team, whether it was the Colts, when he had just got thrown into it, he became that Cardinals head coach and brought them to places that were very high. Unfortunately, not the highest in some regards, but, and then has done for the bucks. I think he's a great coach, tough love, a great, great description of how he coaches. Uh, he wears his heart on a sleeve. He tells you how it is in very, very colorful language. Might I add, 
Um, and I think the point you made about Larry Fitzgerald, the funniest part is I remember that exact game. I remember exactly the moment of which that happened. And he missed a block, which for Larry Fitzgerald, that's crazy. He was a very, very good blocker. Everyone knows that. But he missed a block and he was benched for the rest of the drive. Benched Larry Fitzgerald. Hall of Famer. Sheesh. Questionably the third best wide receiver of all time and one of the best blocking wide receivers of all time. Benched. Benched him on that drive. He benched. His favorite position to attack was running backs. I'll just add. He will bench anyone at any point other than quarterback just for one small error. And he will let you know exactly why and probably will let you know for an extended period of time. So with that in mind, if he ever got on OJ Howard, it could be totally, totally explainable that OJ could never recover from something massive that may have happened, whether it was that drop versus the Niners or something else. And he just couldn't collect his thoughts, get through it and just move on. Maybe that makes him a mentally fragile person. Maybe that makes him a little weak mentally kind of deal. Yes, but Bruce is tough. He's a very, very tough guy. And I do think when it comes to that, going into a new building, going in a new place, it's it's like getting a new job. Sometimes a job gets stale. Your boss, you just are, you hate. Every day you have to interact with them and you just want nothing to do with them. Not uncommon, but a new job, you it just feels fresh. You feel good. You, you're energized. It's a new slate. You got out of that old job. You're in a new job. You don't really think about that old job anymore, or maybe it lingers early on, but the new environment, you would hope, even if he's mentally weak, could just kind of wipe that slate clean, get him into a new building, into a new groove, and hopefully just put him in a better place. You know, as you said, it he may not be the athlete that he was fresh out of college, you know, but he's still a guy. He's still someone that you can really think will come in and potentially make some sort of impact. And if Dawson Knox, God forbid, were to go out and you need to rely on rely on him more as your number one guy in the tight end position, hopefully he can be right there confidently just doing what he can for that position and doing what he can for this team. And it didn't work out going back to Bruce. It didn't work out. And I, I don't think there was anything ever personal with it. It's just Bruce wants to win. He lets you know if you made a mistake and he moves on without you. That's the kind of guy he is. And I think a little bit McDermott does that a little bit. We saw that in the past, but he doesn't do it as aggressively. We'll say, and you know, he might let you know, but he gives you a chance later on. You know, there was the McKenzie, incident when he fumbled the kick return against the Colts I believe it was and all of a sudden you didn't see him returning kicks the following game I believe it was I, I want to say right yeah and, and we questioned it a little bit but then he was right back to doing it so I it's similar philosophies but I don't think uh, McDermott would be as direct and harsh with his feelings on errors as a Bruce Arians would be and that probably will help someone like O.J. Howard if that were to have been an issue. And then the other factor is the Tom Brady factor. Anybody that's followed Tom Brady's career knows that there's a Tom Brady trust tree. If he trusts you, you're going to get the ball. If he doesn't trust you, you're not going to get the ball. Now, I have not heard of a situation where Tom Brady went to O.J. Howard and was let down. But what this beat reporter did point out was when O.J. Howard went down, Tom Brady 
not only had that trust built up with Rob Gronkowski, obviously Evans and Godwin, but Cameron Brait stepped into that tight end two role and Tom Brady gained a tremendous amount of trust for him. You saw a similar thing happen with Leonard Fournette and Ronald Jones, where Jones was a player they drafted very high. Fournette was a player they brought in via free agency. It's like the organization wanted Jones to be the guy, but Brady was like, no, Fournette's the guy I trust. And then you saw how that snap share went where Fournette got the carries, the catches, and Jones was an afterthought. So, you know, I don't want to go as far to say as coming to a place where he doesn't have to be the guy to carry the offense is going to be good for him because you could easily come back with that and say, well, he didn't have to carry the offense in Tampa Bay. They had Tom Brady, Leonard Fournette, Rob Gronkowski, Mike Evans, Chris Godwin. But think about it like this. In Tampa Bay, he was drafted with a first-round pick, hyped up to be the best tight end we've seen in a generation. In Buffalo, he's brought in with a one-year, $3.5 million contract, and he's the second tight end on the depth chart. So the starting point of expectation is way different. And just think about it in your own job. If you go into a place and they're hyping you up as the second coming, the guy who's going to come in and turn everything around, you're going to be a little bit more nervous than if, hey, here's our new guy. I hear some good things about him. We'll see how he does. Maybe you can just be yourself. I think the door is there for OJ Howard to steal Sean McDormand's turn, term to be the best version of himself in Buffalo. He's going to get that opportunity because quite frankly, there's not a lot in front of him after Dawson Knox. And the upside, Luca, is the Bills could run a lot of 12 personnel this year which is something we haven't seen them be able to do with a lot of success because of the lack of athletes after Dawson Knox that position. And the unique thing about OJ Howard and Dawson Knox, they're both extremely athletic for the tight end position. They can both press the seam, get up field. They're almost impossible for linebackers to match up on. And they're both, especially in Howard's case, too big for safeties and cornerbacks to really cover. But they're both really good run blockers and when you look at this Bills team and their down-the-stretch dedication in 2021 to establishing the run and becoming better at the run, this gives them more flexibility if they do go more two tight ends. I don't know if it's going to be a foundation for their offense. I'm not ready to say that O.J. Howard's going to be a 70% player for them or anything like that, barring injury. But I think he's going to be a weapon, and I think he's going to matter. And I think there's at least a chance that this is looked at come next offseason as one of the best value signings of this free agent period. Yeah, and I think the expectation point you made is phenomenal. I think he comes in here with that one-year prove-it deal. Not a lot of money, not a lot invested into it, but he comes in here, hey, let's see what you can do for us. And it may start, honestly, as just a depth signing. It may start where we just run the offense kind of what we're used to right now and they may toy with you know different packages different sets different personnels that he could be more involved with and grow into as the season progresses we don't know that we don't know how they're going to handle him coming into there but it's just nice to have just another body similar to him just there available potentially to help this team get to heights that I mean, they're pretty dang high right now, but you bring in Vaughn, you bring in OJ now, and both sides of the ball, you have just increased the value and what is there, the depth 
And, you know, in soccer terms, those prove it deals can sometimes bring out a lot in those guys overseas or even here. They're on their last year of their contract and all of a sudden they become a 20 goal scorer. You know, that stuff happens where you become extra motivated on that prove it deal and it brings out something in you that you didn't even realize you had, even though the previous years you were just struggling to get field time. It's it's only something that I think is great for both sides and can bring positive things to hopefully both OJ and the Bills. And now the Bills have another player named OJ, which my favorite tweet from that day was they signed Von Miller, who obviously used to play on the Broncos and OJ Howard. And I forget how the tweet was worded, but it was like, and OJ and the Bronco come back to Buffalo. (laughs) Man, that feels a little bit too soon, but we'll go with it. Um, Okay. So to me, those were the two biggest names that Bills have brought in, but there's been a lot of roster movement both in and out since the last time we talked. One name that you and I were both pretty confident was not long for the roster, proved to be true, was Cole Beasley. He was released, checking my notes now, on Thursday. Um, not a big surprise, Luca. The the cap figure he was set to make, and I know you and I both heard rumblings that I think he wanted a fresh start. Not necessarily anything within the organization, To me, it felt much more about the things I'm hearing anyway, and I know you've heard the same things, much more about just getting out of New York, um, political reasons, read into that what you will. Um, But Cole Beasley moves on from the Buffalo Bills. Look, he was a divisive figure in some circles, depending on, you know, what you thought about his his COVID philosophies and whether he was going to get the injection or not. You know, we'll set that aside. Luca, to me, I hope... When the dust is settled on all of this, the majority of Bill's Mafia appreciates just how important Cole Beasley was for the growth of Josh Allen as a quarterback. Because when you look at what Josh Allen's quote unquote, I'm doing air quotes now, you can't see me, you'll have to trust me, weakness was when he was drafted and then in the early years. And I'm not even going to say quote unquote, it was a weakness. Those short timing routes, intermediate routes, hitting the layups, if you will. To maximize a player like Cole Beasley, who lives in that world of the intermediate routes, and have him have his best season as a pro here in Buffalo and become all pro, I don't think words can really do justice to how much Cole Beasley, I'll throw a guy in there like John Brown, obviously Stefan Diggs, but Cole Beasley, this is about him. The value he had for Josh Allen's growth was tremendous, and whenever the story is written on Josh Allen's career, and hopefully he's giving his speech at in Canton in his Hall of Fame enshrinement. There's going to be a big piece of that speech that Cole Beasley is responsible for. And I hope that once we distance ourselves from this pandemic and some of the stuff he did on social media that some people view as divisive. And if you feel that way, you're well within your right to do that. Like that's your choice. Um, I hope people view Cole Beasley as a very, very positive player because one, he was huge for Josh Allen. And two, This is a guy that played with a very serious injury in not only the Indianapolis game, but the Baltimore game last year and the Chiefs game, gutted it out. And um, there's some rumblings that he was even hurt this year and didn't really say much about it. Um, Just a warrior on the field. I have nothing but good things to think of when it comes to Cole Beasley on the field for the Bills. The the performance against Dallas on Thanksgiving is one of my top five all-time favorite sports moments when it comes to the Buffalo Bills. And uh, I'm going to miss him. Yeah. Cole Beasley should not be a guy, say, three, five years from now 
where the first thing that comes to your mind, hopefully, is as a bill, I'm going to say, is something of what he tweeted or a stance that he made. You look at the 2020 season and the key turnaround of Josh Allen. He had 107 targets with 82 of those being caught for 967 yards. Easily second on the receiving list, obviously behind Stephon Diggs. And it was integral to have that guy and that relationship to really help, as you said, Josh Allen progress on what seemed to be something that was a major issue for him. There were other things going on Josh Allen's first two years when it comes to it, but that was something that people definitely highlighted and noted and were like, hey, he really struggles with that layup, as you put it. And hopefully they can view Cole Beasley as one of the reasons that Josh Allen was able to work with someone in that world, really help him understand how to throw to people in that world and just expand where he can go with the ball, what he can do with the ball and maximize the usage of a guy like Cole Beasley, you know, the, the quick little outs, just things like that to really enhance the offense and keep everyone honest and open up the world of that field and just be able to then take Josh Allen and take what he can give you and just maximize the output altogether. Cole Beasley is very, very important to the growth of the team that we have today. And hopefully that is understood. And I, I know, obviously, as you just put it, you understand and you see it that way. I share the same sentiments. I Cole Beasley is very important. And pre-COVID and pre-the world that we were in at that point, I don't think there was one person in this area, one person in this fan base that viewed anything negatively about Cole Beasley, the football player. And I know Isaiah McKenzie credits Cole Beasley with a lot of his personal growth as a receiver and a weapon on offense and had a really cool interaction with Cole Beasley on Instagram that was tweeted out by a few people. If you're not on Instagram, we're essentially paraphrasing here. McKenzie said, I'm going to miss you. Love you. Yada, yada, yada. And Beasley said something to the effect of, don't worry, Josh is in good hands. Love you guys. And, you know, it, it was it didn't give off the impression that there was any ill will it was just time to move on. But one guy out, a couple guys back in, familiar faces, Shaq Lawson and Jordan Phillips come back to this defensive line room. Now, Jordan Phillips, when he was in Buffalo, Luca, was a lot like what I consider 2018 Josh Allen, where you can watch him for like three quarters in a row and you're like, man, I don't know. I'm just like, I see the tools, but there's just... There, I just don't see a lot of production. And then there's a play where you're like, holy cow, that's the best player I've ever seen. Um, but the problem is Josh Allen grew on that and became a great player who consistently did it. Jordan Phillips would just go games where he just single block, not make a play. Game, single block, not make a play. And then, boom, he has three sacks against the Titans and the Bills win on the road. And then games where he doesn't make a play. And then, boom, he tackles, I forget which – Dolphins running back this was in the backfield forces a fumble and allows the Bills to win the game just teases you with those big moments and he had a lot of sacks for the Bills but they elected not to pay him he went to go pay play for the Cardinals I'm guessing but I'll let you speak on this I'm guessing it was more the same in Arizona where those tease plays were there but you could never quite bottle it up to get that consistently dominant player um, but 
I think that has value. And I know based on what he said in his press conference, he wants to be in Buffalo. He wants to be part of Bill's Mafia again. And not to say that he's ever going to be an all pro, pro bowl level player, but I think as a rotational three technique, huge human with the ability to take over a game here and there, I think that's a very valuable piece. But uh, what can you tell us about how his time in Arizona went and what the Bills may or may not be getting from Jordan Phillips that they got in 2019? His time on the Cardinals was an interesting one. The first thing that comes to mind, and I made sure I looked this up to double, triple check this, he was only available nine games, both in the 2020 season for the Cardinals and 2021. Wow. And that kind of highlights the issue, we'll call it, of Jordan Phillips, because I will also say, and I know in 2020 he made more of an impact this past season, it wasn't quite as much but that may have been because his time missed was more in the meat of the season, more in the middle rather than in 2020. I believe those nine games were the first nine games. I want to say he came out the gate, played all those first nine games and then suffered a unfortunate injury that ended the year for him. And he, that year had two sacks. He had two forced fumbles. I remember him making more of an impact in 2020 than 2021, but at the same time, while he was out, the conversation was it'd be really nice to have Jordan Phillips back in there with J.J. Watt this past year, for instance, to really help out interior. And it just his availability was never there. That was his problem. I don't really believe it to be anything beyond that. Now, with that said, he was rotated in and out. I don't think he was really valued the same as he was the last season he was with the bills prior in 2019, but he was definitely a guy that was noteworthy on the Cardinals. He was just one of the guys and he could make plays. And even when he was on the field, yes, there were definitely times that he would disappear. We'll call it. And then the next drive, he would make one play that you were like, Oh yeah, number 97's there. And he just made that key second down play to make a third and long, something of that regard. Right. He would disappear, come in, be good. But I definitely think his impact was missed as well. I don't think he necessarily took plays off, we'll call it, or anything of that regard play-wise. I do think injuries were the number one issue with his time in Arizona. And then on top of it all, you know, him coming back, I love it. Having a guy motivated to just want to be here and essentially strong arm, he was a cut candidate in Arizona. He was going to be a $13 million cap hit. His base salary was going to be $10 million this year. He was, I want to say he was the number one cut candidate for the Cardinals. And he didn't take that as, you know, I would imagine a lot of players do where, hey, maybe I'll restructure to stay, things like that. I mean, Arizona is a great place. I don't know many people that don't like being in Phoenix, Arizona. It is a great city, a great place to be. Scottsdale, Arizona is a wonderful place, especially downtown. You can have a banger of a time in that downtown area. But at the same time, Jordan Phillips was like strong arming them to cut him. And then that Instagram post where he thanks the Cardinals for his time there. And he's looking forward to going back to the bills. It's not a picture of his time as the Cardinals. It's his picture of the time when he was in Buffalo and he was ready to go. I mean, you knew where his mind was at there. And that just shows you he did not give a crap that he was a cut candidate and an easy one for the Cardinals at that. 
and he was just ready to come back and make a reunion happen. No, it was instantaneous too. It was like Adam Schefter announces the Cardinals have released, um, released Jordan Phillips. And it's like five minutes later, Buffalo, I'm coming home and it's a one year deal. So it's not even like he went out and tested the market. And the thing about Jordan Phillips is six, six, 324 pounds. You think of that as, oh, he's a nose tackle. He's more of a run stuffer, but no, this guy, when he's on can push the pocket and can be that interior pass rush force. You just have to find a way to keep him on. But what I love about um, Phillips outside of the the high spikes in his game that hopefully the Bills can find a way to channel and at least maximize those those outputs is he's a dog on the field. And I think, you know, for I don't want to get too general and be like, you know, one of those callers that calls into sports talk radio show like these guys don't look angry enough on the sideline. But there's something to be said about having, I don't know, what's the term, a snot spitter, a shit disturber on your defense, somebody that annoys the shit out of the other team because they're either, they're always talking, they're, they're just, they're emotional. You know, Poyer's got a little bit of that dog in him. You can tell when he's out there, but you know, Edmonds is a quiet guy. I think Oliver was a little bit more of that when Phillips and Lawson were there in 2019. And then they had much more of a quiet D line room the last couple of years. And it doesn't seem like Oliver's been making as much noise. Milano's a super quiet guy. They joke about that. Um, Trey White's not quiet, but he's much more playful. I think having Phillips, and I'll even throw Lawson into this too, although I do think that it may be a challenge for Lawson to make the roster. We can get into this down the stretch, but both of those guys back, one, they wanted to come back. Two, they had their best years of their career here in Buffalo. Um, there's a video out there, if you can find it, when the Bills played the Jets in the Meadowlands this year, where after the game was over, Shaq Lawson was shaking hands with Jordan Poyer, Taron Johnson, Taiwan Jones, and um, all the guys, Micah Hyde. And he just goes on to say, like, I miss you guys. I miss you guys. Oh, I miss you guys so much. And it was, you know, it was it was good, but you almost felt bad for him. Like, man, you're still in the league. You're still on a team. Like, it's you're almost like you're homesick. And so he's back home. I don't, you know, I don't know. I hope he makes the team. I think as far as Shaq Lawson goes, you know, we kind of know what he is at this point in his career. He's got good length. He's a good run defender. He's kind of limited when it comes to rushing the passer, but he's going to give you good effort. And he definitely plays with a mean streak as a rotational guy. If you can get the highest level of his ability, I think he's a solid rotational piece, but I don't think you're hoping for him to be any kind of a starter. A little bit more excited about Phillips. And then another guy making his return to Buffalo is Matt Barkley. And Luca, when we saw that Matt Barkley was coming back to Buffalo, he also posted this on Instagram. Um, our reaction was, huh, I sure hope that's not their answer at QB2, but the Bills had another answer up their sleeve. You want to talk about that one? Yeah. I mean, so touching on Matt Barkley real quick, it, it, spot on. As soon as we saw the signing, uh, we were questioning if that would be their answer to backup. And then I feel like the rumors of Matt Barkley's return were shortly followed by then the news that the Bills were trading for Case Keenum. Because I want to say it happened similarly to, say, Friday night, hey, Matt Barkley sounds to be coming back for a return. And then Saturday, I want to say midday, it was, hey, the Bills are trading a seventh-round pick for Case Keenum, which at the time, I was excited. It's another seemingly top-tier backup quarterback to kind of match what they did last year. Mitch Trubisky absolutely should be viewed as a top-tier backup quarterback. 
Case Keenum, maybe not physically as gifted as a Mitch Trubisky, and he's not as young, definitely. But he's still, I mean, he he came in for the Browns on short notice, I want to say, and he he got them a win in primetime on a Thursday night game. I mean, he's a guy that you come in and just go, yeah, he's he's hopefully not going to mess anything up. That's all you can ask from a backup. Come in, do your job, don't mess it up. And I think he's a guy that you can definitely feel that. And he does have familiarity with at least one guy in the roster, Stefan Diggs. You get a nice Minnesota miracle reunion there. That's kind of fun. Just a nice little tidbit. But the one thing that I also highlighted when we made that trade was, oh, wow, he's got a six mil cap hit. Well, then our answer to that was immediate. And they're, yep, we restructured them to 3.5 mil. So now you only have about 3.5 mil sought into your backup quarterback. And you're just like, yeah, I feel great with this. I have no problem paying Case Keenum three and a half mil to sit there and be a nice, solid backup that can be brought in if needed. Hopefully not, of course. And then you have Matt Barkley sitting there kind of filling that Davis Webb role where he's he's on he's on the roster. He's in the he's in the quarterback room, but he's kind of more of a player quarterback coach also slash good friend of Josh Allen. He's a, he's a nice friendly face to say hi to enjoy the time around. He's going to bring the positive vibes to Josh Allen, keep it light, keep it loose and make everyone feel good. And he's familiar with the building. He's familiar with the coaching staff. He's familiar with a lot of the guys still here and to bring it all back together to Matt Barkley. And another thing about Shaq Lawson and Jordan Phillips, it's awesome to see something, just a nice little thing like these guys who went away, they went to get money. They, which always go get the money, but then they wanted to come back. They wanted to be here. They knew what they left. And now here they are coming back because there's clearly something big happening here. Yeah, I agree. And I think your point about Keenum, like if he has to play, just steer the ship. That's what, that's all you really want. Because if Allen goes down for the season, Whatever season's probably over. I mean, maybe you get a Nick Foles situation where the backup quarterback catches catches fire and takes you in there. But really, it's like Tom Moore, the old Indianapolis Colts offensive coordinator, used to say about Peyton Manning and why number two quarterback didn't get any reps. He said, "If eighteen goes down, we're fucked. We don't practice fucked." <laughs> I love that quote. <laughs> you know, that's where we're at with Josh Allen. If he goes down, this thing's over. But, but. You're a team that's competing for the number one seed in the AFC. We all learned, unfortunately, the hard way how um, easily that can slip away by giving a game away or two in the regular season last year that you shouldn't have lost. And if Allen, say, has to miss a month for whatever reason, knock on wood, that doesn't happen. Knock on whatever you have to. Um, But if it happens, Case Keenum's a guy that can come in and with the talent you have around him, You don't feel like you're just donating games because your quarterback is inferior. This is a guy that probably may not be a top 32 quarterback in the league, but he's probably in the top 40. And with the roster the Bills have around him, the defense we expect them to have, the weapons on offense, this is a guy that I think you go out there and you think if he has to play four games, can win you two or three. And that can be the difference between getting a number one seed, winning a division, or being a wild card team. And that's all you want. I love the way that Brandon Bean prioritizes the backup quarterback. And I also love the way that he's gone creative ways to find a high end backup the last two years. 
with Bart, with, um, excuse me, with Trubisky, it was, Hey, you know, you've had, you've been run through it in Chicago. You need a year off. Just come here, reset, take a breather. And Trubisky's like, you know what? That sounds pretty nice. And then with Keenum, here's a guy on a team that just traded for a quarterback. That room's getting pretty heavy with pretty heavy contracts. And they're like, Hey, why don't we take this guy off your hands? So I love that. Matt Barkley, you nailed it. He's the Davis Webb. If he has to go in and play, look, I don't think I don't think it's a catastrophe if for whatever reason, like let's say Case Keenum gets injured in preseason and Barkley's your number two all year. I think Barkley maybe, possibly could win you two out of four, three out of four with the team we have around him. He looked pretty good against Miami in the finale in 2020 when Miami had to win and Buffalo really wasn't playing for much. But more so, you nailed it. He's one of Josh Allen's best friends. It's one of the reasons why I liked the idea of Kyle Allen. And I think this quarterback room makes a lot of sense. And going forward, I like the way they have it set up. And I think this is the quarterback room we're going to see in 2021. Absolutely. I, I just, it's it's a nice, good mix. As you said, we're just replicating what we had last year in a little bit of a different fashion and just running it back. And it's going to, what else do you need? If Barkley came in, which by the way, another good game, you know, I believe there was a game against the Jets in say. Oh, 18. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, in 18. They remember that one, whereas in New York, I th- I, th- I want to say we were both like three and seven or around there record-wise, just a barn burner. But if you have Matt Barkley coming in, you, you're seasoned. I mean, you're just – you're watching just because you, you have to, essentially, at that point. But he's going to be in there. He's there to be the face. Keenum's there to be the insurance policy if, as you said, say Josh Allen – say Josh Allen gets a conky. If he gets a concussion – and he's out a week or two, it's a nice thing to have. You got this guy, steer the ship, let it go. If you win one of the two, that's nice. If you win both, great. That's That could be the difference of the one seed. You look at, say, the team like the Cardinals last year when Kyler went out for an extended period of time, and it was the question every week was, well, when can Kyler come back? Because obviously the offense is different with Kyler in there. And Colt McCoy quietly was just having a nice good old time out there. He goes and beats the Niners in in San Fran. He loses to the Panthers in a in Cam's return. That was an interesting one. But then goes to Seattle and beats Seattle. All of a sudden, your backup just stole two of three games with your high end talent at quarterback out, and you were able to now rest that guy for four weeks, an entire month. He could rest and get better, so he could come back at better health and do what he does. So. Hopefully that doesn't have to happen. We never want that to happen. But if it does, doesn't hurt to have a guy like Keenum sitting there. It's funny you mentioned that 2018 Jets game because that was a lost season. It was Allen's rookie year, but Allen got hurt in the Houston game. And we're thinking, okay, well, you know, there's not a lot to look at here besides just Allen's development at this point. But hey, they play the Jets in a couple of weeks. We'll get to see Allen go against Darnold, the two rookie quarterbacks. So that'll be kind of cool. And then neither one of them played the game. <laughs> And I remember we were talking to one of our Jets friends we talk with, and he was like, I may just go golfing. Like, I don't even care if the Jets win this game. And then the Bills ended up blowing them out with Barkley. So that was kind of fun. All right. So a couple more things happened. Um, Minor. The Bills signed a swing offensive lineman, um, Greg Manns, um, experience at guard and center. I think probably some Ike Butker insurance. 
And then they did replace J.D. McKissick, who we mentioned decided to go back to Washington with Duke Johnson, who I think gives them a lot of the same strengths that J.D. McKissick offered in the passing game as a receiver, but maybe even has some more upside as a runner. I don't know that Duke Johnson is the receiving threat as far as route tree that McKissick is, where Duke Johnson, a lot of his passes are just like, you know, in the flats and going out option routes, things like that, where McKissick you can actually draw up routes for and line them up in the slot. I don't know if that's Johnson's game, but he does have a lot of catches in the league. And an interesting back that I think, Luca, if I were to guess right now, let's say they don't add another running back to the mix, which I hope doesn't happen, but if this is their running back group, if I had to predict today, I would predict that Duke Johnson outranks Zach Moss in the Bills depth chart. Yeah, definitely. Duke Johnson... You slide in there for that McKissick thought that uh, led to a good amount of drama with Bean in Washington. That was just a fantastic follow for the time that he came out and just basically, I mean, can can we say that Bean just called war on Washington and burned bridges everywhere and just wants nothing to do with them? I don't want to go that far. Oh, yeah, he was not happy. <laughs> I don't want to speculate things. I have absolutely no idea what's going on in-house, but. Yeah, publicly, he wasn't happy. But regardless, sliding Duke Johnson in for that McKissick slot of what they envisioned, as you said, you may not be able to be as crazy with the routes and be able to drop as much fun stuff with that position, but he's still going to give you serviceable hands. And he, as you said, he's proven to catch the ball and he's been doing it for years. He now comes in. He's going to be the RB2. You got Motor sitting there. And then I still sit where I stand. Uh, that was a weird statement. I just said that I, I sit where I am with Zach Moss and I just, I would be shocked or I wouldn't be shocked if he's still on the roster, but I just don't see a place for him on this team. I'm not sure what he brings to the table. I'm with you. Um, it just, you know, and the thing about Duke Johnson, he's bigger than I thought he was. I think my vision of him was, oh, he's, he catches a lot of passes. He's a scat pack. He's five, nine, 210 pounds. And I was watching some of his highlights from Miami. And you want to talk about a team that had no run blocking whatsoever last year. And he was making something out of nothing quite a bit. And he was running between the tackles. It was good to see. I'm not saying Duke Johnson is going to come in here and set the world on fire. I'm not even saying that I hope that Duke Johnson and Devin Singletary are 1A and 1B running back. Singletary, obviously the 1A there. I don't want to misspeak. Um, I do hope the Bills do something in the draft to address that position. But if they don't, I don't think it's a catastrophe. To me, like you mentioned, the bigger issue is what does Zach Moss give you at this point besides the fact that you don't want to give up on a third-round pick? So Duke Johnson's here. He's a very interesting player. Um, I do think that it helps the Bills in the passing game quite a bit. Maybe he's going to be that primary third-down back, although the Bills throw a lot on first and second downs. Um, anything else that the Bills did this week, Luca, that we haven't covered that is interesting to you? or any other rumblings you'd like to talk about? No, I think we did a good job just covering, you know, all the acquisitions, all the inbounds, a couple outs there with Beasley, and just kind of what this projects with where we sit, what it seems like, everything that's going on. Um, and then from there, where we can go, what we can do. I, this is going to be a great lead into the draft, where we think that will bring us when it comes to April 28th and everything that goes in with that. 
And I know we're going to dive into that much more in the coming weeks here. Um, but it's, it's definitely, I think we covered everything in the initial free agency and, and everything with the bills going on there. And, uh, we can start really projecting what the idea is when it comes to the bills and where do they want to go with that first round pick? Where do they want to go on day two with picks two and three and so on and so forth? Yeah. And then it's not that the bills were the only team out there making moves these last week. Um, we had some pretty notable players on the move and let's spin it around the league here and just kick around some couple topics here. Uh, Devonte Adams is a Raider. What was your reaction when you saw that? Because I had to check three times to make sure it wasn't a burner account. thought it was fake news. I, I legitimately did not believe it until I saw it confirmed over and over, looked at Discord, saw everyone talking about it. I saw it posted in some of my group texts. I I honestly, I don't even still believe it right now. I, I legitimately don't believe that Devontae Adams, after Aaron Rodgers goes, yeah, you know what? I'm going to come back. We're going to run this back. I'm in Green Bay. That's where I want to be. You know, Devontae Adams goes, it's not his choice. It was a first and a second that got sent, you know, to Green Bay's way to give him to the Raiders. But yeah, he then gets paid $28.25 million a year. Just an insane number for not a quarterback. I don't know. I didn't do enough research. I should have looked this up. I wanted to see how many quarterbacks are underneath that figure that start in this league. I don't know where that puts him, but I would I would bet it. At, I mean, it definitely has to put him in the top half, I would imagine. And it might even be the top third in pay, which is just crazy considering that's only a skill position on the outside. Now, Devontae Adams is Devontae Adams. But that's a big number to commit to a guy like that while also sending a first and second to do that. It's it was crazy. I, I legitimately I, I don't think I've 100 percent let it soak in and realize that that is I'll put it this way. Let me let me finish it here. I think DeAndre Hopkins in Arizona was an absolute bargain now after seeing that. 100 percent. I mean, DeAndre Hopkins going for a second round pick and David Johnson is just robbery at this point. Um, the thing about, um, Devonte Adams pro football talk did say that his contract is a little bit more than 20 grant or 20 million a year when you really break it down. So it's a little bit over that, um, projected Tyreek Hill number. Some of that numbers, the 28 was a little bit fake. Um, but I think this is actually a lose lose. I don't understand why the Raiders would give up so much money and assets for an aging player when their team to me is not ready to win now, despite being in the playoffs last year. I just don't believe in that roster. And I don't understand why the Packers would give up their best receiving weapon by far when they're all in on winning now with Aaron Rodgers and he just signed and said he didn't want to be part of a rebuild. Um, I, I think both teams, I'm scratching my head on both accounts. I think the Raiders what are you doing? You gave up a lot of assets and a lot of money for a guy who may only be good for another couple of years. And his numbers may have been spiked by the fact that the greatest quarterback of, you know, the last 10 years or whatever is throwing him the ball. And then on the other hand, okay, Green Bay, now your number one receiver is Alan Lazard and you just resigned Robert Tunyon. Is that your plan to go try to win the NFC with Aaron Rodgers? I don't understand it from the Packers perspective either. What did you think about that, Luca? Yeah, both sides. It's questionable. I almost chalk this up as the Raiders saw everyone else in their division doing something 
making a marquee move. They were grabbing someone that really moved the needle and they just had something sitting on the desk, you know, on the desk here, you know, like, Hey, we called the Packers a few days ago, offered them say a fourth and a second, or I shouldn't have said in that order, a second and a fourth. And what about a first and a second? What if we call them back? And then we're going to tell his agent, we're going to pay him 28 million. Does that sound good? That's going to give us some headlines. It almost just feels like something like that where you just force it or you just want to make it happen to bring yourself back to relevancy and get headlines. I'm not saying I I don't think an organization in the NFL would do such a thing just for headlines, but that's the only rationale I have for it. I'm with you 100% from the Packers. What are we doing? You, You now only have Alan Lazard. You know, MVS, he's not even on the roster, I believe, still as we speak. I believe he is a free agent. Devontae Adams was your only weapon. You had uh, A.J. Dillon in the backfield who is having a really good second half of the season last year. But we're talking about A.J. Dillon here. We're not talking about Devontae Adams. Devontae Adams, the best receiver, questionably. You know, there might be biases in there. Stefan Diggs and DeAndre Hopkins have something to say. But Devontae Adams obviously is talked about as one of, if not the best receiver in football. And he had one of, if not the best quarterback, the back-to-back MVP of the league throwing to him. What are you doing if you're Green Bay? And then the Raiders going back to it. You're in a division with the Chiefs, the Chargers, and the Broncos. Broncos go and get Russell Wilson, which you would think seems to fix a lot with that offense and will elevate them to a place that they should be in the playoffs or in the discussion You have the Chiefs, who are the Chiefs, of course, and then you have the Chargers, who, you know, were a tie away from making the playoffs and just got so much better on the defensive side of the ball with J.C. Jackson and Khalil Mack. What the Raiders almost should have just accepted a couple years here of just, hey, we're just going to try to get by. We might be able to make something happen. It almost that would have made more sense. I I, I'm with you. I just don't get it from either side of of the move. I I don't. The only thing I can think of is. This is Josh McDaniel's way of saying, I'm not here for a 10-year process. I want to prove I can win right away. And if I can't, I'm just going to leave again and go back to New England. Because he did the same thing in Denver when he got there. (laughs) He got rid of um, Jay Cutler at the time, who actually was a a pretty good young quarterback, and brought in Kyle Orton and made a bunch of moves and really ruined that team. And then he bailed. or I think he may have been fired. I don't remember how that all went down. But I don't trust Josh McDaniels in trust of, in in charge of an organization. I don't like this move for them. Like you said, I would still project them to finish fourth in that division, and I don't think it's particularly close. Um, good for them, I guess, for going for it, but it sure feels like they could have made better use of those assets. And then from Green Bay's standpoint, this isn't considered a wide receiver heavy draft. Sure, they got a, a higher pick with um, the Raiders' pick and their pick, but. There's no Jamar Chase in this draft. There's not really even a Jalen Waddle in this draft. So even if you spend your two first-round picks on wide receivers, are you going to count on that to be an NFC championship offense? It just doesn't make sense to me. Let's talk about another quarterback that was on the move. Deshaun Watson, a surprise bombshell to Cleveland. What was your reaction when you saw that? 99% sure he was going to Atlanta, and then the classic swoop in by Cleveland when they realized how much they fucked up the Baker Mayfield situation. What, what <laughs> first and foremost, just the money that they committed to Sean Watson is wild considering everything that's hanging over his head still. Um, 
and we we don't have to dive into that. We're not lawyers. We we don't you know we we don't know the victims. We don't know everything going on there. I, we don't need to touch on that. Yeah, I'll be just, honest. I'm not even comfortable talking about it. It there's so much there's so much about it that I think if we just keep it as a football conversation while acknowledging that it's a there is a legal issue there. That's kind of the lane I want to be in anyway because any other lane than that, I just feel like I'm not qualified to talk about it. Exactly, and that's how I feel. So with all that aside, football alone. I will start with this guy hasn't been on a football field in over a year and the year he was on a football field last, I want to say the Texans had four or five wins. So in what world now the talents there, everyone knows Deshaun Watson. Everyone saw him go Superman mode against the bills in the playoffs. We we've seen what he is and should be, but at the same time, the last time we saw him on a football field, it wasn't that he wasn't elevating that team to anything special. And then he he's now been a year off of football. So to commit $230 million to him, that's a steep bill to pay. And the fact all the draft capital you had to do to get him in the building on top of that, and then also burn a bridge with your former first overall pick. Wow. Just the reaction after it all settled in was wow cleveland on paper man cleveland is going to be damn good but again i just i keep looking back at that last season deshaun watson was on the field and that's what i kind of highlight and go is is he still there even with the season off now on top of it i i don't know if i can be sure of it you would think it is but you never know talking strictly as a football player I like Deshaun Watson. I've never thought of him as great. I've always thought of him as very good. Um, and that game against Buffalo, from our perspective, was very heartbreaking, obviously. But if you take your Bills glasses off and just look at it neutrally, he put on a Superman cape and carried an inferior team to a playoff win, which is what you want your franchise quarterback to do. Tip your cap to him. A lot of things went against the Bills that game. We will probably talk about that in some episode down the line. Whatever. This is about Deshaun Watson. Right. But like you said, this is a guy that was drafted in 2017. That's his only playoff win. So you start talking about great quarterback. Josh Allen already has three playoff wins. Should have four. Deshaun Watson has one. I know he took a year off, but in quarterback wins is not a big stat. And I understand why the Browns wanted to move on from Baker Mayfield. But then if you do want to factor in the legal issues and the PR disaster, I don't know. <coughs> Excuse me. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm suffering through here with this voice thing. If you couldn't tell him, I'm, I'm letting Luca carry this, uh, around the league conversation a little more. He's a great teammate. Um, but, um, as far as the Browns go, I feel like their desperation worked against them here. I think that they really thought this was their year to make it to the Super Bowl in 2020. They had knocked off the Steelers in the playoffs in dominant fashion. They went toe to toe with the chiefs. And then they had a big offseason where they brought in guys like Jadavion Clowney, had a really good draft, got in um, Cora Morrow from, from Notre Dame. They got the cornerback Newsom in the first round that I wanted to go to the Bills, had a really strong draft, had a, one of the best rosters on paper. Week one, they go toe-to-toe with the Chiefs and probably should have won that game in Arrowhead. And it's all looking up. They don't even make the playoffs. And I think a lot of frustration just boiled over. And I think they panicked. Um, I don't want to say I hope it works out for him. I'd be lying. I don't really root for Cleveland. 
Um, candidly, I'm not going to be rooting for Deshaun Watson. I hope it doesn't work out for them. And I feel bad for uh, a fan base that I think we have a lot in common with as Bills fans that have suffered more than most fan bases deserve to suffer. But I am here for this not working out, and that's what I'm rooting for to happen here. And I'll tell you, it doesn't look like Baker has a lot of options, though, Luca. Um, Any idea where he might be going? I have no clue. If Baker Mayfield doesn't end up in, say, Seattle, I legitimately have no clue. I, it's The market is just not there. We're at a point where you feel any team that doesn't have a quarterback that they want to go forward with. So I'm talking anyone that has an obvious franchise quarterback or a team that drafted one last year, you know, you, of course they're going to go forward with say the Trevor Lawrence or the Zach Wilson, but it, so that leaves you with a handful of teams maybe, and they are probably just evaluating the situation with the draft quarterbacks now. So why would any of them be jumping at the bit for Baker Mayfield at this moment in time? When you see how Cleveland has handled him, which I just want to point out yet again, Baker is getting the very short end of the stick with Cleveland. I I cannot believe how they handled that. And it just, it gives him a bad look in a way. And that's just not right. I It's bad business that how everything transpired with him and how they're handling him and how they're trying to move forward without him. It's the Cleveland or the Deshaun Watson trade happens. And I don't think I've people are talking about Deshaun Watson on Cleveland and Baker Mayfield has just fallen to the wayside other than the fact of it's like, well, where does he go now? What does he do? And Cleveland has put him in this point in the, at this point in his life. And I, if it's not Seattle, I don't know. I, I really, really don't know. Baker doesn't seem like a guy that's going to take a Mitch Trubisky kind of situation like last year with the Bills. He's not going to just accept a backup. But I I heard an interesting point on Rich Eisen, and I'll end with this. On Rich Eisen's show earlier today, he brought up, you know, what about Baker going to Arizona, joining up with Cliff and Kyler? But then you're like, hey, Colt McCoy just re-signed. And we already saw what he did as a backup. And he's a, he did a great job, and he clearly is liked in that locker room. You heard from Cliff during that stretch in time that he was he was everyone was rooting for him. Everyone wanted him to succeed. He was getting a chance to play when you didn't expect him to be. He took it. He did a great job with it, as we talked about earlier here even. So why would you even bring Baker in to replace that? What, what would be the practical reason? It, it doesn't make sense. You'd rather have Colt McCoy which on paper makes a little less sense. But when you really think about it, it makes total sense. You wouldn't bring Baker in to replace Colt just like that because he's available. And Baker doesn't want to be that guy regardless. So what are we doing here? I mean, I, I, I legitimately feel bad for Baker Mayfield at this point. His career has gotten ragged all aside and just thrown into the mud. And it's just laying there, soaking it up. And the problem is he still has that enigma of being a Heisman Trophy winner, first overall pick, rookie of the year, where if you bring him into a team, it's going to be hard for the quarterback that's there, unless it's a Pat Mahomes or a Josh Allen, not to look at it like, what, you don't trust me? You bring in Baker Mayfield? Like the Bills trade for Case Keenum and Josh Allen doesn't give a second of thought about, oh, do they not trust me? 
Baker Mayfield's a level above Case Keenum. If the Titans were to trade for Baker Mayfield right now, I think Ryan Tannehill would be like, what the hell, guys? So he's almost a victim of his previous successes. Also, I think the narrative around Baker Mayfield has swung so much to the negative. And it's like, this is a dude that played through a torn labrum last year when he probably should have sat. And the reason he played through a torn labrum is because he wanted to be out there for his teammates that he thought was competing for a Super Bowl championship. And it turned out that they weren't. And he was a big part of the problem. And how much of that problem was the fact that he was playing with a torn labrum? Who really knows? But two years ago, this was a guy that I think most people would consider a top 20-ish quarterback. His rookie year, top 15-ish. I don't know. And now we're talking about him like he's out on the scrap heap with Jamarcus Russell and Ryan Leaf. I don't get it. To me, he's easily better than Sam Darnold. He's better than Drew Locke, but um, reports came out today that Carolina has no interest in him and he has no interest in them, which is just weird because it doesn't seem like he's in position to be picky at this point. Um, Seattle supposedly wants to see what they have in Drew Locke, which is kind of weird. Like, why, why not at least get the Baker Mayfield insurance? You should so, absolutely know what you have with Drew Locke, and it ain't pretty. Hundred <laughs> percent. Yeah, I, I don't think uh, I don't think there's a, a hidden Hall of Famer there under the Drew Locke scratch off there. But maybe we'll, Pete Carroll knows something we don't. I doubt it. The best thing for Baker Mayfield now is just to wait this out because there is absolutely no way the Browns can bring him to training camp. They already signed Jacoby Brissett. They've traded for Deshaun Watson. If nobody trades for Baker Mayfield, and this could be why his market is not really high right now, teams know the Browns have to move on from him, and they may just be waiting for them to release him. Um, he's playing on that fifth-year option, and I want to say that that's guaranteed with the exception of injury, so um, they would be eating that whole option as a as a cap hit which is unfortunate, but it's the situation they put themselves in. There's no way to legitimately roster Baker Mayfield going into this year. If they can release him and then he can lock on with a team, say like a like a Los Angeles Rams, where he can get that mental break like you mentioned that Trubisky got, where he can learn from Sean McVay, he can watch Matt Stafford and just take a breather year, that might be the best thing for him. I think Baker Mayfield right off the bat is better than Carson Wentz. That's just me. I think if he was in Washington, he'd be an upgrade over that. I think there's definitely teams in this league he could compete for and start for. But when you look at some of those teams like Chicago, um, New England, um, the Jets, they've all recently invested in first-round picks. So they're not going to move off of those guys. There's still that Jimmy Garoppolo domino, and it sounds like as far as the NFL goes, Jimmy G outranks Baker as far as like who's going to start. Um, the Falcons seem to have their guy in Mariota, which tells me they're probably just going to draft a guy and let Mariota hold that job down until they, they get their rookie on the field. The musical chairs game is ending and Baker doesn't have a seat. And it's just wild to see how far his career has fallen. And like you said, it doesn't feel like it's a lot of his fault. Um, this, there goes my voice again. Um, <laughs> but it's going to be interesting to see what happens. That's certainly something to keep an eye on. One team I thought Baker might go to was the Colts, but they made a move for Matt Ryan and Luca. I'm not scared of Matt Ryan. I think Matt Ryan's a quality quarterback. He makes a lot of sense for the Colts who are going to rely on their running game and their defense to win games. And he's not going to screw it up the way Carson Wentz did a lot last year. 
What I think Matt Ryan does to the Colts, though, is probably good for the Bills at a high level because, to me, when you look at the AFC West, they're going to beat up on each other, in theory. Same with the AFC North, especially now that Watson is there. When you look at the South, that was the one division where, like last year, okay, the Colts or Titans, you know, one of them could get hot, and then there's a couple of cake teams in that division. They could steal the one seed. I think what Ryan does is he brings the Colts up to the Titans level, and hopefully they can beat up on each other enough to where the Bills have the upper hand on getting the one seed. What the bad part is, is, and not that there ever is any easy outs in the NFL playoffs. I mean, sure, you know, last year the Bills made it look pretty easy against New England, but they weren't a bad team. The Raiders made the playoffs last year. That probably should have been the Chargers, and that wouldn't have been an easy out for the Bengals. The AFC is certainly setting up to be one through seven, a stacked playoff format. So it's going to be tough. You're going to want that one seed. You're going to want those games in your building. And I think that's a big get for the Colts. Matt Ryan makes a lot of sense. What do you think about Indy now with Matt Ryan as their quarterback? I think I'm higher on Matt Ryan than you are after listening to that. I, I, I don't think we've talked at length about Matt Ryan too much. I, I'm trying to recall if we have, but I, I put it in a text, in a group text, and I'm just going to read it verbatim real, real quick. It might sound a little broken up. I don't think it will, but we'll see. He will be perfectly okay with JT being a workhorse and still has the ability to hit throws he will need to and be smart about it when it's not there. And I think that last point is major. That's how I feel about it. I This is an improvement to Carson Wentz, which, I mean, it's how much is it? I'm not sure. But the the mental aspect of it, the the ability to read the situation, understand the point of the game, understand where they need to be at that point is where they really move up a notch. I mean, this is a maybe a weaker one, but this is a league MVP once he got the Falcons to a Super Bowl. They were a cataclysmic collapse away from winning the Super Bowl. <laughs> I, I shouldn't laugh there. That's mean. 28 to three. That's yeah. ugh, God, but it's still funny though. It's still funny. It's crazy. That I wish it was anybody that. else, but the Patriots, but I, right. It, you know, of all teams, it has to be the Patriots, but it, I, I digress. Uh, I think Matt Ryan's a great sign for them. I know we talked about Baker Mayfield going there would be scary a little bit. And, you know, cause it's a young guy, former first overall pick and everything he brings potentially. But I think Matt Ryan puts them even in a better position right now to get out of that roster what they want to. And that week 17 with Matt Ryan does not happen. They are in the playoffs. Bottom line, that is the impact he makes. And realistically, I don't think they are even in a position week 17 where they need that win to get in. And if you're a Colts fan, I think you should feel better about this than you did when Philip Rivers was brought in two years ago. I like that point a lot. I was going to ask you if you thought he outranked Philip Rivers. I do too. And I remember seeing over the over the season, we have a mutual friend who's a big Falcons fan, and there was some metric that um, somebody who tracks like the advanced analytics posted about quarterbacks under pressure and how they perform when they're under pressure. And I don't remember the exact stat. I can try to find it. But essentially, nobody was under more pressure than Matt Ryan, and nobody was doing more in those situations than Matt Ryan. 
So if you think about it, like horrible offensive line, Calvin Ridley left midseason. So his best players were Kyle Pitts. Excellent. They traded away Julio for peanuts. Um, and then they had Cordell Patterson as a wide receiver slash running back. And that was about it. And Russell Gage was just kind of a guy. And he was making it work, but he was getting manhandled. I think you saw it firsthand when the Bills played the Falcons. The Bills D-line feasted on them. And if you're honest with yourselves, if you say you saw all the Bills games last year, if the Bills D-line is feasting on you, you probably don't have the best O-line. The Miami game, the Falcons game, come to mind, the Panthers game. So from that standpoint, huge O-line upgrade in Indy where they probably have one of the best offensive lines. They still have to figure out their left tackle situation with Eric Fisher moving on. I'm surprised they weren't in on some of the tackles we're going to talk about here soon, but I'm sure they will somewhere along the way find a left tackle, but great running game, great defense. It's an indoor football team that had the ability to put the roof up, which I think is big for Ryan at this point in his career. And like you said, can be that steady hand that Phillip Rivers won and a team with Phillip Rivers took the bills to the limit in Buffalo 2020 in the wild card round. I could see the Colts being the kind of team similar to last year. We're coming down the stretch. You're hoping they don't get in and hoping you don't draw them because they're not going to be any kind of fun to play, especially in bad weather with Jonathan Taylor and a quarterback that unlike Carson Wentz, you can't really count on him to screw up the game like uh, Carson Wentz did in Jacksonville. I like that move a lot for them. A couple of moves that I know you like were made by Buffalo Bills division rivals this week on the offensive line. You want to talk about those? Yeah, real quick. We don't have to dive too much into it, but I thought they were almost a uh, impact of the Vaughn signing. You got the Patriots locking up. i Am I getting the name right? I wrote Trent Brown, but now I'm questioning it. You're correct. Okay. I just wanted to double check that. You're you're getting tripped up because there's a Trent Brown and a Trent Williams. I do the same exact thing every single time. Oh, my goodness. I, like, read it on our notes. But anyways, yeah, so the Patriots, you know, I believe bring back Trent Brown. And then you have the Dolphins, who just recently, right before we started recording this, signed Taron Armstead to what seems to be a very expensive deal. But at 43.37 guaranteed, you have a very, very, very good left tackle coming in that can really enhance that Miami offensive line. And that has to be somewhat of an instant impact of the Vaughn signing. You see someone like that in your division, you have to have an answer. If you don't have an answer, you have a lot of problems. Yeah, I like that move a lot. Yeah, it just makes sense for both those teams. Those are the two teams, the Jets, unfortunately. Uh, you're still not looking to compete there for the division, but the Patriots and Dolphins are. I mean, they want to be competing for it. The Dolphins had a seven-game losing streak and then a seven-game winning streak. The Patriots were right there with us. Of course, you look at the team that did win the division, you see the biggest move they made was Von Miller. How do you address that? Hey, let's make sure our left tackle is damn good. And I hate to sound arrogant about this, but in a lot of ways, it's similar to how the AFC East was during the playoff drought. It doesn't matter what the rest of the roster looks like. One team has a huge advantage at quarterback. And until Tua or Jones or Jets quarterback escaping my, or Zach Wilson close that gap on Josh Allen, the rest of this is just window dressing. And just like we saw during the playoff drought, the Bills can sign a bunch of players, make a bunch of moves. But at the end of the day, the Patriots were going to win 13 or 14 games because they had a wizard at quarterback and we had somebody that we were borrowing from another team 
or a draft pick that we, that wasn't working out. And Luca, that is a great transition to the playoff drought because last week we had the conversation about the biggest wins of the playoff drought. And this week we're going to have another draft. We're going to have the big three. We're going to go snake draft. Whoever gets the first pick, the other one gets the next two and so on. See who can stack the best team in lieu of the Von Miller surprise signing that caught us all off guard. This week, we are going to be drafting the biggest surprise additions of the playoff drought to the Buffalo Bills. And you had some inspiration for this topic, right? Yeah, I absolutely did. I'll shout out Dylan uh, personally. He put a list in our group chat that I won't say, but he just, it was, I'm pretty sure it was, you know, off the cuff, just felt like saying it. And it was in lieu to the Vaughn signing and it kind of sparked this idea. And I know I immediately messaged it to you and I was like, Hey, that's not a bad idea. And sure enough, you agreed. We're going to do this here. And I got the trivia question for you. If you're ready, I'm still deciding between the three that I've drafted up here, but are you good to go? Well, I will let you think about which three you want to ask. We'll remind how the rules work. Um, he is asking me a trivia question. If I get it right, I get my choice of whether I want to pick first or second and third. If I get it wrong, he gets his choice. And I want to give Luca one last shout out. I hope it hasn't been too evident, but as this show has gone on, my voice has tried to tap out multiple times. I've been smashing that mute button. I've been choking down water, uh, lozenges, chloroseptics. I hope it's not as painful to listen to as it is to talk through, but... Luca, you're a good teammate. You've had to talk more than your fair share this episode, and hopefully by next week I'll be uh, back to 100%. But yes, let's hear that trivia question. Yeah, I'm just hoping real quick that my editing won't be too awful, but we're going to be chopping out at least some of it. But here we go. All right. So I'm going to go with this one just because I think it is interesting and grabs a wide variety. But in the history of the Buffalo Bills, only four players have had multiple seasons with at least 10 sacks, multiple as in two or more. Can you name the four players? And then just as a fun bonus, can you guess the number of seasons that they did have at least 10 sacks? I will start the timer now, but I'll give you 45 seconds for fun. Okay. Bruce Smith and Mario Williams. Okay. Two of the four. Um, I'll I'll guess afterward. Um, So I need two more people that have had 10 sacks multiple times. Right. I want to say Aaron Schobel. Okay. I'm not as confident in that one. Oh, okay. I don't, not Bryce Pop. Nope. I, I almost thought Bryce Pop, but okay. Talking through that a little bit, I know one year he had 9.5. That wasn't the year he was MVP. Who would be, I don't think it's Jerry Hughes and I don't think it's Lorenzo Alexander. Um, I'm, I'm going to run out of time though. So I'm going to say, shoot, Jerry Hughes. No, 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 no. Yeah. Jerry Hughes. I don't think that's wrong though. Good catch because you are correct. It is Bruce Smith, Mario Williams, Aaron Schobel, and Jerry Hughes. Would you like oh. to take a stab at the number of seasons? Jerry Hughes is definitely two. I knew one was the year that the whole defensive line exploded with Mario, <laughs> Darius, Kyle Williams, and Hughes. Yep. I couldn't believe he had another one. Maybe that was early on, though. Um, Schobel. So Schobel got drafted in 2001, and he was on the team – until what was he on the team till about 2007 i'll say Schobel had three he had four four okay mario williams um so he was here 12 13 14 and 15 12 13 14 15 
I'll say Mario Williams had three. You are correct. Three. And Bruce Smith. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> Ten? Uh, close. Twelve. Okay. <laughs> Which What what a beast. Twelve seasons. Just when I made sure I had to double check counting it when I was doing that. But uh, you are correct. So you get first pick or second two. I really, I, I almost feel like I cheated because I was not confident when I said Jerry Hughes. I thought for sure it was just one, but I couldn't think of anybody else. And the one, the I'll give a shout out to um, WGR. They did they did a similar trivia question this past week um, after the bill signed Von Miller. And oh, I would have probably guessed Bryce Pop, but Bryce Pop had one. They were like bills that have had double digit sacks in one season, right? So oh, okay. it, was, it was a little bit different spin. And um, they made a point like Bryce Pop came really close to doing it twice, but he had 9.5. So that would have prevented me from saying that. So that helped. Um, okay. I will choose to go first. All right. Go ahead. I like the way the board falls if I go first. Um, so speaking of Mario Williams, I'm going to go there. Um, we got some feedback when we post this question on our Twitter and um, from Joe Miller from Buffalo Rumblings. And another guy on Twitter posted this too. And I just think where the bills were into, and guys, I apologize. I'm going to be very short with my descriptions. You can probably tell I'm struggling. I apologize. I will be much more descriptive in future episodes. And Luca, feel free to tag on um, to anything I say. If I leave anything out, I don't want to shortchange these descriptions because I love diving into the history of the bills, but I also can only imagine how this is like fingernails on a chalkboard listening to my squeaky voice right now. <laughs> um, where the bills were at that point in the drought, it was a true drought. Like it was 2012, if I'm correct in that. And the drought started in 2000. So we were 12 years in. Chan Gailey was our coach. Chan was a nice guy, but when we hired him, it was like we seriously went from Dick Duran to the guy who was the head coach at Georgia Tech, who was under 500 as a Dallas Cowboys head coach that took over that team with Hall of Famers. So it really felt like everything was falling around us. It felt like nobody even knew the Bills existed outside of Buffalo. You'd watch those games. The Bills would go out and lose six to three to the Browns. And and you wouldn't even see highlights of it on ESPN. There would just be like a little bit of a score like, oh, the Bills play the Browns six to three. Ha ha ha. Nobody watched that. You felt like you didn't even exist in the league. It wasn't about how many primetime games will we get. It was, are we ever going to get a primetime game again? And that's really how it felt. It was lonely. You know, there were brief moments of hope with Trent Edwards and Ryan Fitzpatrick, but those were doused quickly with the reality that they weren't very good quarterbacks and it was a spiral of continuous seven and nine seasons, and nobody wanted to come to Buffalo. There was a time when Drayton Florence was our biggest free agent signing, and it's like, cool, Drayton Florence is a decent cornerback, but nobody's going to call him the best cornerback in football. And then the 2012 offseason kicks off, and the biggest free agent is Mario Williams. And yes, the Bills had a need for an outstanding pass rusher. This just in. But... um, <laughs> Nobody thought he was going there. And I remember just kind of scrolling through Twitter at the time. And I saw something about Mario Williams is taking his first free agent visit to Buffalo. And I'm thinking, man, he's really going all out to try to set the market for himself. I Even seeing he was visiting Buffalo, it never occurred to me he actually wanted to go to Buffalo. I was just like, oh, he's just using Buffalo to up his market value, like whatever. And then as that went on, it's like, oh, Mario Williams is still here. Oh, Mario Williams is attending a Sabres game. Oh, they're flying his girlfriend wife in to the airport. And I remember Dave wants that meeting her at the airport and all the news cameras catching it. And Mario watched 24 seven 
And by about the third day, it was like, oh my gosh, Luca, they're really in on Mario Williams. And they landed him. And it just felt like, is this what it feels like to be alive? Because our existence for the last 12 years has been, we're going to go out. We're going to play the Jets or the Dolphins or the Browns, and we're going to have a mediocre game that nobody remembers. And then we're going to turn on Sunday Night Football and see Peyton Manning against Tom Brady throw throw for four touchdowns apiece. And it's like, we aren't even playing the same sport of these guys. I don't even know if Mario Williams knows that the Buffalo Bills are a football team. And here he is on TV talking about how he and Jim Kelly both love hunting and how he loves Jim Kelly and he can't wait to be a Buffalo Bill. It was such a confidence boost. It was such a much-needed ego boost to the Bills fans. And I honestly, I'm all about smart roster construction, and I'm all about like making the smart move. I didn't care how much they paid. I didn't care if it was smart. It was nice to feel alive, and Mario Williams made me feel alive as a Bills fan on that day. And during that 17-year drought, we didn't have a lot of days like that. And to me, that's why he ranks number one as my surprise Bills edition. First and foremost, I think you did a phenomenal job considering where your throat and voice is at this moment in time. I will just start there. Thank you. And I know you're muted to help out there and try to get to the next segment here. But uh, you hit every point. It was surreal. Um, I will just say this. On top of your point, that was not my number one. That I'm very not surprising but i will just go right into it my number one should not be a surprise at this point but it is the one and only to terrell owens and i just started off with i cannot believe still to this day that we got a free agent now late in his career uh, when all said and done but i'll get into that in a second but a to i mean this is a guy that you were just watching in Philly do crunches in his driveway. And he played in the Super Bowl, as you mentioned, very early in this podcast with a broken leg and got over 100 receiving yards. He had been a, and I mean, he still says he could play in the league today, just an absolute beast on the field. And somehow he got cut by Dallas. And four days later, it was reported that he signed with the Bills. I remember sitting in the basement of my childhood home, watching TV, I might have also been gaming a little bit, but watching TV and on the nice Cathroad tube TV that I use for spectating, I had NFL Network on and they reported that the Bills signed Terrell Owens. And I, I didn't even know how to process it. It was fake news. It, it just, that was not real. There's no way that the Buffalo Bills in 2009 had signed Terrell Owens. That, that couldn't be. So you instantly switch to naturally ESPN and all of a sudden they break that news too. Hey, Terrell Owens just signed with the Buffalo Bills just days after being released surprisingly by the Cowboys. His 2008, 69 catches over a thousand yards, 10 touchdowns. He played all 16 games. I mean, it made absolutely no sense. And it that, so I, it's kind of like the Devonte Adams trade to me. It, it's something that, I think for days I could not process, but that one was just from sheer excitement. That was from just an unbelievable point. And the other thing you got to remember is, so this happens and I want to pull up the exact day because I know it's in the off season. So this happens on March 8th of 2009. I personally in my fandom am coming off of 
one of the worst sporting experiences in my life just yeah. earlier than that. I had to experience everything that was Super Bowl 43. And my emotional point of the NFL in general was at an all-time low. I let's, wanted- catch, let's catch people up on that just real quick because <laughs> oh, you're, not- you're a Cardinal fan. So that's that's the Super Bowl that the Cardinals lost to the Steelers. Oh. Just That may not be as front of mind of our audience, but yeah, yeah that's, no, why, that's what he's referring to. We're not going to get into details of what nope. transpired in that one. But yeah, so- so we're coming off of that. I wanted nothing to do with football. I just hated everything. And all of a sudden we're sitting there in March and that gets announced. And it's like, holy fuck. We just signed Terrell Owens. One of the two receivers. Well, sorry. One of, yeah, one of the two receivers. And I mean, Larry Fitzgerald was in there too, but Randy Moss and Terrell Owens at the time in that league were viewed as the mega stars. Larry Fitzgerald's still coming up. He's still being a thing. I mean, Terrell Owens, Randy Moss, those are the guys. Yeah, they were and, they were excellent and they were cool. They were everything oh. you wanted to be when you were playing football in your backyard. And now you have T.O. on the Bills. It just was, I, I just, a mega star was on. The, I bought, I went out of my way to find a Bills jersey and I made sure I got one with, because that was also the same year as the 50th anniversary patch. Made sure I got one with that patch on it so that it was date relevant, right? So, because I knew, I mean, it's not for the long, it was, I ended up being one year and you just knew that it wasn't going to be a long-term thing, but I wanted to make sure I had a piece of it. And I wear that Jersey proudly still to this day. You know, I, I would wear it all over the place and why it's my number one, even with you taking Mario, it still would have been my number one is I wear that Jersey. I wear that Bill's Jersey. I wear that TO Jersey to even new England for games and people respect it because of who that was and who that is. And that just tells you, I mean, he was the man and he was on this team for one year. And that, that moment of realizing that he was ours was just something special. Well, that Jersey is kind of a conversation starter because unless you're a bills fan, it's kind of easy to be like, Oh yeah, I forgot he played for the bills because it was one year. And you think of T.O. as, a 49er and a cowboy and an eagle. And you forget about how he wound up his career with Buffalo and Cincinnati. I'll give you this. It's not as easy as Mario was head and shoulders above T.O. Because T.O., even though he was on the back end of his career, was box office. He was A-list. And Mario Williams was number one overall pick, impact player, defensive end. He wasn't on the celebrity NFL level as T.O., not T.O. had his own. What did you say? I'm sorry. Sorry. Yeah. Not even close. No, I, not not even close. I think you're going to even lead into it. I mean, he started a show after mm-hmm. he signed with the Bills and made a show based off his life in Buffalo. Yeah. And I remember watching that show, the one where he signed with the Bills and he's like making out with his publicist in the hot tub. And then he had these <laughs> um, two female friends who I, I don't know if they were his agents or he has a. You should, if you haven't, look up T.O.'s um, childhood story. It's really interesting, like how his grandma pretty much became his mom. And um, the two ladies in the show, I, I think maybe they were like, Drew Rosenhaus was his agent, but they were they were friends, but they also helped him with business and they were all celebrating him signing. I think the Dallas Cowboys thing caught him really off guard and he was just happy to get a spot in the league. And then remember they gave him the key to the city and that's still a running joke. Oh, yeah. The mayor of Buffalo gave him the key to the city. Again, just like Mario Williams, it was a much needed confidence boost. I will say when they signed T.O., 
when they signed Mario Williams, I talked myself into this is going to work. When they signed T.O., I was already at the point where I was like, okay, I've seen enough of Trent Edwards. Um, <laughs> I've seen enough of Dick Duran. Um, I hope it works, but at least it'll be fun if it doesn't work. And, you know, the first game was maybe one of the most painful games in Bill's history. Do you remember which game that was? I'm trying to remember, but I believe that was the Monday night game against New England. Correct. Nailed it. The McKelvin fumble. <laughs> oh, yeah. Ugh. But yeah, that's a great call. I love that pick because very similar. It was just a glass of water to a dehydrated person, which I can relate to right now. Um, <laughs> it was like, oh, my God, T.O. knows the Buffalo Bills are a football team. Um, yeah, he was absolute A-list. If you were making if you you go ask somebody who didn't know what the NFL was, who couldn't tell you who their favorite team is, they knew who T.O. was. That's how big he was at that time. And he wasn't in his prime, but he was a big name. And it wasn't like he was completely washed up either. I think he had almost a thousand yards for the Bills. I don't have it in front of me, but he had a really good year on a really bad team. So yeah, it's a good call. I can't wait to hear who you have as your uh, second pick. All right, yeah. So for my second pick, this is it's a tough one um, because now we I, I, Mario and Terrell were my one, and you know you could probably as you said Mario is your first pick, and I would say that's not crazy, but. Now we're a step below, and I think I'm going to go a little out of left here, and it's kind of for a different dynamic to kind of the surprise of Mario and Terrell Owens. And I'm going to go with LaShawn McCoy. And the reason I'm doing this is not necessarily because of acquiring LaShawn McCoy. And I think the key is acquiring because, of course, the first two were free agents. This was via a trade. But the trade itself is kind of what made it surprising, and it was unexpected. It, I, I'm trying to remember specifically if at the time it was being rumored, but I feel like I don't remember even much. Maybe you could step in here. I don't remember this being really a thing that was even being discussed, but all no. of a sudden, you no, just the, have, So the story goes that Rex and Whaley were on the Pagula's boat talking off-season down in Florida and they got a call from Chip Kelly who was the head coach in Philadelphia and that he coached at Oregon where Kiko Alonso played and Kiko Alonso was coming off of a, a season where he missed the entire year with an injury the year before that he was one of the best linebackers rookie rookie players in the league not one of the best linebackers but he was becoming legendary for the place he made as a rookie year and then the story goes that Chip Kelly called and said hey we're looking to trade LaShawn McCoy uh, would you be interested in sending us Kiko Alonso? And Doug Whaley said, I'll get back to you. Asked Rex. Rex looked at Terry Pagula. They all said, oh, yeah, let's do it. And they made the trade in less than 10 minutes. Didn't watch any film. I mean, this just sums up the Rex Ryan. Like, let's not watch film. Let's not call our team doctors. Let's not see if there's something medical that we're missing. Let's just sit on this boat and say, that sounds like a cool idea. And we're going to do it. And it worked out great. But, yeah, that's that's the story. So there were no rumors now. Perfect. I'm glad you actually got that story in there. Although your voice must be doing okay because you stepped on a couple other points, but not a big deal there. Um, Sorry but yeah, about that. No, no, you're good. Yeah, but that was kind of what made it surprising. And I think, I think the fact that Kiko Alonso was a rookie of the year then, unfortunately, gets the ACL injury, which keeps him out all the his sophomore season. But you just go and boom, you trade this, and you're like, oh, we traded Kiko. Wait, we just got Lashawn McCoy. I mean, Lashawn McCoy was no one to. Uh, it, it was almost a kind of a sit back and just you had to absorb the fact that all of a sudden LaShawn McCoy was on our roster. It just 
didn't make sense. It didn't compute. I mean, we're talking about a guy who was going to be 27 years old, seemingly in the prime of his career, just comes off a 1,300-yard year. The year previous, he led the league in rushing at 1,600 yards. I mean, it, it just was one of those moves where you're like, did we just do a one-for-one -one trade with a young linebacker just because the other head coach really liked him in college when he coached him? Did that just happen? Like, in the, for all intents and purposes, that should have been a pretty big red flag on Chip Kelly in his NFL standing. But um, it, it just was absolutely just, you pulled it out of the hat and it's just like, oh yeah, by the way, let's just do this. And in the story that of how it transpired just fits the surprise because I can only imagine the faces of everyone on that boat as the call came in, you hang up and you just look at Rex, you know, Whaley looks at Rex and is like, that was what was just offered. It's, it's a fantasy trade that you almost want to like text the commissioner and be like, Hey, is this legal? Like, can I actually do this? And I'm not going to get, you know, slapped, slapped around about it. Like this is, I can do that. Oh, okay. Yeah, like I mean, you're afraid to accept it too fast because you're afraid they're going to overthink it. Like, wait a minute, why is he so eager to say yes? Exactly. It just made no sense and came out of absolute left field. And and obviously we know what LaShawn brought and everything that comes into that. But the move itself was just absolutely out of nowhere. So that is why that is my second pick. I like that pick a lot. And what's interesting about LaShawn McCoy, he came to a team where CJ Spiller was still on the belt. Technically, he had an expiring contract. And Fred Jackson was still here. And then Fred Jackson ended up getting released after the first preseason game. So it was um, clear sailing to the number one starting. I mean, there was no doubt who the number one back was going to be when you trade for LaShawn McCoy. But Spiller and Jackson on the roster, it didn't appear to be a big need at the time. But yeah, that had to be a no-brainer move, especially for Rex. I don't think Kiko Alonso fit the way he sees his defensive playing. So now you have LaShawn McCoy and you have T.O., I have Mario Williams, I'm going to go with a running back of my own. Ooh. and I'm going to take advantage of this acquired word, and I'm going to go with Willis McGahee in 2003. So completely out of left field, and a little bit of story about myself. The 2003 draft, as my voice is going in and out again, is the first draft where I was dug into it deep, like where I knew who I wanted the Bills to take in the first round, second round, third round, fourth round. I had my Sporting, sporting News mock draft um, magazine on my lap. I was watching the Howard Simon show on Empire every day, listening to various guests. And the way that draft went coming off of the 2002 season, the Bills had an electric offense. They had uh, obviously Bledsoe and Molds, and they had Price, and they had Travis Henry, who was a Pro Bowl running back that year. And he had 1,400 yards and 12 touchdowns, which for a Bills running back these days, like, my God, you never see that. Um, and you didn't even think about running back as a need. And I remember watching college football that fall and seeing this running back on Miami. Like, man, he he is just a man amongst boys out there. But I was never the biggest college football fan during the regular season, just never had a team. So I more so watched it from a draft standpoint. And then I watched the national championship game against Ohio State. And he gets that horrific knee injury. And you're just thinking, man, he's probably going to go back to college now because he was a redshirt sophomore. And, you know, the way his leg got banged up, I do not recommend going back and looking at the replay of that. It's nauseating. And he still decided to declare for the draft. And 
that year, there was another running back, Larry Johnson out of Penn State, that was a considered a first round pick too. And by most accounts, McGahee was the better prospect, but nobody thought McGahee was going to go ahead of Johnson because Johnson was healthy and McGahee, for the most part, was not considered somebody that could help you out year one. And watching the draft, the biggest story of the draft was that day, where's McGahee going to go? Where's McGahee going to go? And I'm just watching. And at that point, I really wanted the Bills to take a defensive end because they had Aaron Schobel. They had signed to Keel Spikes free agency, um, but they really had nobody to go outside of Aaron Schobel. And their defensive tackles were good with Pat Williams. They just signed Sam Adams, but they needed that other edge rusher. And there was a bunch of first round edge rushers in that class. One guy, Terrell Suggs, sore subject with you, was never within Ooh. their range. They got that first round pick from Atlanta who they traded, they tagged and traded Peerless Price to. So you could have made the case they could have used a receiver, but everybody thought Josh Reed was going to be fine. It was take this edge rusher. So the best edge rushers in the class were Terrell Suggs. He was head and shoulders better than everybody. And then it was Michael Haynes, uh, Jerome McDougal. I'm just going off memory here. Chris Kelsey out of Nebraska. All those guys were considered first round picks. Ironically, O.C. Umanura, who the Giants took in the second round, was not on anybody's radar, and he was better than all of them except for Suggs. But the Bills, when they got on the clock, there was a run of picks right before they got on the clock where Haynes went and McDougal went, and it was really depressing because Kelsey was always kind of like that, well, I guess you can take him. He's fine. And Kelsey's the guy I wanted, and I was like, well, just go ahead and take Kelsey. It's fine. Um, Whatever. And then Chris Berman says, now, wait a minute. We're going to go to a live shot of Willis McGahee in Drew Rosenhaus's house, and he's on his phone. <laughs> and I'm thinking, okay, whatever. Like, they're just playing this up for TV. They're, they're not going to show him on the phone. And then sure enough, Chris Berman was notorious for giving away the Bills pick because he had sources in the draft room. And even he was flabbergasted. And normally when he's like, I had a, I had a bus driver or a cab driver who told me that the Bills were going to take Lee Evans or whatever. Um he was just stumbling through his words because he was even in shock. And you're like, wait, what's going on? And he's like, I don't even want to say it. Let's just go to the podium. And he goes there. And sure enough, the Bills take Willis McGahee caught everybody off guard. And Luca, I was mad. I thought they had just wasted a pick. What are you doing? One, we have Travis Henry. He's a Pro Bowl running back. Two, this guy's not going to help us this year. This Bills team is ready to compete to win now. So we thought we need defense um, if you wanted to even go outside of defense and take another receiver, I want to say Bryant Johnson was maybe the best guy on the board. He may have gotten earlier. Um, I don't think Anquan Bolden was in that conversation, even though he was much better than Johnson. Oh my goodness. Uh, You're just naming former Cardinals or people from the state of Arizona. What are we doing here? Tight ends like Dallas Clark and Jason Witten were considered like you could have gone so many other directions. Um, Kel and ironically the bills ended up getting Chris Kelsey in the second round. So it kind of eased the burden. He's like, what are you doing? This doesn't make any sense. So it was a shock. And there was a little bit of that box office factor because he was a superstar and he was one of the biggest stories of the draft. And it was kind of cool once you started thinking about like, okay, well, if he gets healthy, what could this backfield really look like with Henry and McGahee? Well, time has gone on now and years have passed. And you since learned that there were numerous red flags around Travis Henry's personality off the field that scared the bills. Mm -hmm. And this was not 2021 where, Oh, if our running back is, you know, going to find himself in off field issues, we'll just find another running back off the scrap heap in 2003 running back was still considered a premier position 
where if you needed one, you would take one in the first round. And I think Donahoe having tagged Peerless Price and traded Peerless Price to Atlanta for that first round pick looked at that pick as basically a luxury pick, an icing on the cake pick, a pick he wasn't even supposed to have. And he used it to swing for the fences with a player that he thought was a top 10 talent that only fell to him because he was hurt. And the way the Bills offseason had gone to that point where they signed Sam Adams, they signed Posey, they signed Spikes, they really felt like they had their team in a situation where they didn't have a whole lot of needs and they could afford to sit McGahee and be patient. And that added fact of Travis Henry having off-field issues. This wasn't reported much, but there was a story that after the 2002 season, which would have been Henry's second year in the league, he's still on his rookie deal. He actually signed a one-year extension to his rookie contract just to get more money up front. Like he, he took a really cheap extension, a one-year extension, just to get a little bit more money in his pocket that day, which was a terrible career move because the way his career was going, he was already a pro bowler. He want to hit the open market as fast as you can. He extended his Bills contract by one year just because he was going broke. Um, maturity issues, off-field issues, fun player to watch, but a lot of red flags there. And I think that's probably why they pulled the trigger on McGahee. But I was flabbergasted on that day, and it took me a while to get over it. And it really wasn't until the next year, 2004 preseason, when McGahee got on the field that you got to see, man, he is the real deal. He is really good, um, and he's better than Henry. And I think that that ended up proving to be the case. So I will pause before I make my next pick and see if you think that this is worthy of the fourth pick in the acquisition draft. Yeah, I mean, the fourth pick there, McGahee, I, I didn't have that written down. Um, and I'm, I'm ashamed. It's kind of like last week. I didn't have it written down. I have a list of, say, seven or so here. And it definitely surprised me. I don't think I was as negative as you, but you were also extremely negative on that pick. Um, but I think that has to do more with, I did watch college football at that time. College football, honestly, I would probably say I was more emotionally invested in than NFL going into the early 2000s. It just kind of, I, I liked the energy that college brought a little bit more when it came to my youthful spectating. Um, but uh, I loved Willis McGahee at the U. I loved watching him. The injury, as you pointed out, no one needs to rewatch that if they haven't. And if they haven't watched it, definitely don't watch it. You just know that his knee blew up and it was horrible to see in the national championship with all eyes on you. But um, definitely was questionable when it comes to you just watch this guy's knee get blown up and now you're going to spend a high pick for him. That I remember even as a kid thinking, well, that seems like a bit of a risk, but it was exciting for me to be like, wow, this guy that was on the best college team is and was a focal point of that offense is now going to be that hopefully for the Bills but also not understanding, you know, the Travis Henry, you know, stuff there. I like the pick. I love it. I think the acquisition part of that, it perfect, absolutely spot on. And I am very much looking forward to the fifth pick in this draft now from you. Well, I plan on using the word acquisition to my favor here with this next pick, because this one's even more out of left field, but with the way it caught me off guard when it happened, I had to include it in this pick. 
Do you know what happened, Luca, on January 12th, 2015? January 12th, 2015. Honestly, I can't recall. That's a weird time for an acquisition, right? Free agency doesn't start until March. The draft doesn't happen until April. On January 12th, 2015, the Bills hired Rex Ryan as their head coach. (laughs) And at the time, Doug Marone had just quit on the team on New Year's Eve. And Doug Marone was not what I would consider a hot commodity coach. When he became the Bills head coach, there was all this talk about how, wow, the Bills should be innovative and go the college route. And the name everybody wanted was Chip Kelly. He was the hot name. And Chip Kelly chose Philadelphia. And we decided to go with the guy from Syracuse. And we were like, wait a minute. Did they just not have enough money to go anywhere outside of the state of New York? Did they just go up the road to Syracuse and hire a coach? And Doug Marone, to his credit, was actually a pretty good NFL head coach. Maybe not the best people leader, but as far as drought coaches go, maybe one of the better ones. We can talk about that on another show. But at that point in time, we had come off of Greg Williams, Mike Malarkey, Dick Duran, Chan Gailey, and Doug Marone. And enter Rex Ryan. Rex Ryan was the first guy in the AFC East since Tom Brady showed up to stand up to Bill Belichick and Tom Brady and say, I'm not here to kiss your rings. Took the Jets with Mark Sanchez to back-to-back AFC championship games, including wins against Peyton Manning in Indianapolis and including wins against the San Diego Chargers, who we talked about last week, were ultra-loaded in San Diego. But most importantly, Luca, he took the Jets and beat the Patriots in Foxborough in the playoffs and smashed them in the divisional round to go to their second division or their second conference championship round. Rex Ryan was, for all intents and purposes, a celebrity coach in the league. And I thought at the time he was one of the best coaches as far as defense goes. He was definitely a box office coach where the Jets were getting on TV. They were on hard knocks really because of who Rex Ryan was and his personality. And I did not think that Rex Ryan was going to come to Buffalo. And the story goes, there were two jobs open that Rex Ryan was interviewing for the Atlanta Falcons and the Bills. And if you look at those two jobs, the Bills had EJ Manuel going into his third year, had previously lost his job to Kyle Orton, was not considered at this point a quality quarterback in the NFL. And that was about it. The Falcons had Matt Ryan and Rex Ryan had always said, if I have a star quarterback, I can be just as good as Belichick. And Manish Mehta had posted um, a story at the paper he was working at the time saying that Rex Ryan was basically sitting around waiting for the Falcons to call, waiting for the Falcons to call. And the Bills were just like, are you going to take our offer? Are you going to take our offer? And one day Rex Ryan was like, they ain't going to call. I guess I'll take the Bills job. And here we are, consolation prize Bills. But it was a big day for the Bills because we mattered again. And it felt like we mattered again because even if our team wasn't very good, our coach was a celebrity in the league. And the way that defense played down the stretch before Rex Ryan showed up with Mario Williams, Marcel Darius, Jerry Hughes, Kyle Williams, it felt like, man, 
if Rex Ryan can come in here and put his spin on the defense, if they can just get anything out of the offense, they might have a chance to end this playoff drought. And his introductory press conference was like a cold beer after a long day at work. It was just something that you didn't even know you needed until you got it. It was Bills fans. You've been waiting for a coach like me. You don't want a coach that's going to quit on you. I won't quit on you. All the things you wanted to hear. I know you guys are wanting somebody to bring you to the playoffs. We'll get ready. We're going. He was talking about how he's not intimidated by Belichick. It was everything you wanted to hear. Rex Ryan won every press conference he was ever in. The problem is, it turned out, he wasn't that good of a coach. I don't know what happened in New York. They spent a lot of money. They had some stacked rosters, got some decent fortune in the playoffs. But the defense absolutely eroded here in Buffalo with the same talent that Jim Schwartz the year before had made the number three or number four defense. I can't remember. But I do remember that Rex Ryan in his press conference said, oh, they're the number three defense in the league. I, If you ask me, that's kind of disappointing. We should be higher than that. And then under Rex Ryan, they couldn't stop a nosebleed. Um, but it was cool that day. It felt like we mattered. But at the end of the day, to me, the Rex Ryan hire, the way I look back on it now, is kind of the last of the circus moves the Bills would make to try to get our attention to prove they cared. And then obviously Sean McDermott came in. Things became a lot smarter, more buttoned up. But on that day, it was really cool. I never expected him to be the Bills coach. I woke up, turned on ESPN, saw he was the Bills coach, was super excited. And I was excited for what the future held. And that first Rex Ryan game, you mentioned it last week, that Colts game, I was super amped for. And then after that, it was all downhill. So my three picks are Mario Williams, Willis McGahee, and I'm capping it off with Rex Ryan. That's a great team there. And uh, I had Rex there. And that was, you know, funny enough, that was going to be my next pick. But that was only because I figured there was going to be other value you were going to find there. But yeah, the Rex Ryan thing, and I think you said it best, where celebrity coach, it was unexpected. It was, we're going to get another Dick Duran. We're just going to get another Chan Gailey or some, you know, stopgap to fill that unexpected void at head coach. And in came Rex Ryan. And you were just like, wow, honestly, for the moment, this is really cool. This is a guy you watched at New York. You watched him do the things you talked about. And now he's ours. Let's see how this goes. If if nothing else, it'll be entertaining. And, you know, unfortunately, that's all it was. But uh, uh, I can tell you I had the fortunate opportunity just real quick to see him more personally due to the position that I worked in at the time. And I will say him and his wife, and there's probably jokes in there, but they were lovely people. And it almost it made it easier to I should say it probably didn't make it easier, but it did make it easier to still not hate on him through the failures that were his era here. But great people. And it was fun. That press conference, as you said, the ice cold beer analogy. Spot on. I love it. I think that's perfect. And it a, a nice cold beer at the end of the workday just describes a lot of Rex Ryan in general. You know, him on him on TV sometimes can be that just he's refreshing because he's just different. It can also be outlandish and ridiculous. But, hey, that's why you're watching. And that's what they're paying him to be. So it only makes sense. 
But yeah, uh, he's he's great on TV, and I think that's where he belongs is on TV. Absolutely, one hundred percent. I think he's perfect for what he does right now. Um, so I guess I'll just roll this into my last pick here. Um, it, it's a tough one, and and I'm probably going to end up going with the value pick that I imagine you're thinking. I yeah, it's I had a personal favorite with Micah Hyde, and I wanted to get that in there just because I didn't see it coming, especially with him and his point in his career, young, just off his rookie contract. Green Bay, for whatever reason, lets him walk. Just want to point that one out. Don't understand it, especially I think the last couple years of his career in Green Bay. He was, I mean, he was really picking up. You have Stefan Diggs, which was just fun. And then coming from the down of Antonio Brown to all of a sudden swinging big and getting that trade, that was cool. But you got to go value here. You got to go with Lawyer Malloy. I mean, it just, everything that came into it, everything that, that went about that, it was just, I think, did we, I, when we were doing this last week, you talked about the significance of that, if I remember correctly. And how, correct. That was my favorite win of the drought. Yeah. And I, I wanted to say you even touched on this a little bit, but the shock of him being cut, <clears throat> apologize. Now I'm starting to have issues here. Uh, the shock of him being cut by the Patriots because Rodney Harrison trade happens and he comes in and then that apparently left Lawyer Malloy out. I mean, imagine the two headed monster, even though they'd be similar. That is Rodney Harrison and Lawyer Malloy at the time, but he gets cut and he just goes full revenge. Just goes, who? oh, Patriots are playing the Bills week one. Yeah, we're going to go over there and just kick their ass. It, it was out of out of right field, we'll say, because I said left field with LaShawn McCoy. It was just but it was cool. I mean, this is Lawyer Malloy. He was kicking our ass and all of a sudden now he's going to help us kick their ass. And we had a defense then, as you also highlighted last week. That, I mean, there were pieces all over the place. I mean, we were a team. You had Sam Adams, you had Takeo Spikes, you had London Fletcher, you had all these guys. And now you had Laurie Malloy up top to be a leader and a proven winner. It was, it was awesome. And just, you know, it started with the absolute highest of highs and just went down from there. And that's probably not fair to judge his career because of that. But I mean, when you talk about surprising, it, He's got to be on a list. I can't leave him off the list. He's got to be my last pick, and he's got to be—he's got to be on the list. He has to. I can't. I there's nothing more that needs to be said. I mean, everything about him, everyone knows. I would think at this point, between our podcast last week and then just understanding what had happened and transpired with that, but it's—it's it's too good a value for you to, you to leave there on the table for me. And I'm just going to use that as my last pick. Yeah, that's a great pick. And for the impact he had on the field, it was certainly better than Rex Ryan. And everything about that week, because it was the week before the game he was released, that whole offseason was about, have we done enough to catch up to New England? Can we beat New England? And then they let their defensive captain go, and he joins our team, and it's like, oh, it's on. We can beat them. We can beat anybody. So it was really cool to see. And then looking back on, Belichick gets a lot of credit for giving up on guys a year early instead of waiting a year late. And I think if we're honest with ourselves, that was probably one of the best early examples of that is he gave up on lawyer Malloy a year early because at that point in time, Rodney Harrison was a better football player and lawyer Malloy's best days were behind him. He was still a solid player for the bills for 2003, some of 2004, but by 2005, he was a shell of himself. And it did not really have the impact on the team 
that the Bills were looking for when they signed him. But that was a great pick. That was a very exciting moment. I remember just checking out Howard Simon's show every day. Have we signed him yet? Have we signed him yet? Because I think it was down to us in, in Washington. But we'll see how it goes. So, Luca, I had um, Rex Ryan, Mario Williams, and Willis McGahey, and you had Terrell Owens, LaShawn McCoy, and Lawyer Malloy. Let us know on Twitter who you think did better. Speaking of Twitter, if you want to give us a follow on Twitter, we are at Bill's Chat Pod. We will follow you back. We like interacting with you guys on there. And that is going to do it for our second episode of Bill's Chat. Again, I want to shout out Luca. You are a great teammate. I am not in any kind of shape to record tonight, but I fought through it. I got plenty of liquids here, plenty of tissues. I abused that mute button. Hopefully it wasn't as noticeable to you guys as it was for me. But to steal our phrase, steal a phrase from our favorite GM, Brandon Bean, on next week's episode, we also are going to turn our attention to the draft. We will still cover, keep our ear to the ground on things happening with Bill's free agency, rumors, player movement like that. But April's going to be here before we know it. And it's time to start digging into some of these draft prospects. And next week, we are going to cover the offensive side of the ball. We're going to take a look at every position group on the Buffalo Bills, go through it, tell you where they could add some draft capital, which positions we expect them to add significantly premium draft picks into, and then dive into the names that make sense for those position groups based on where we think they will be looking to take those players in the draft. It's going to be a complete offensive side of the ball breakdown next week. So if you haven't started studying for the draft yet, don't worry. We got you on Bill's chat. We'll get you all caught up on the offensive players we like. And then a week after we'll go into defense. And then it's going to be before we know it, Luca, the draft's going to be here. And I know you love the draft just as much as I do. No, I can't wait. I love the draft. I love just watching these college kids that I've been watching over the past year, two, three, whatever it may be coming in and hoping to God they either end up on this team or in some cases like, you know, a Johnny Manziel or something, they stay the hell away. (laughs) Try to avoid those draft busts. We will see you next week on Bill's Chat. Hopefully my voice is with us next week as well. Until then, we'll see you next time.